Hello and welcome to Lore Dump, the show where we take somebody who hasn't experienced a gamer game franchise and walk them through the full story. This episode we are covering Alan Wake. We are beginning our descent into the Remedyverse. Yes, ooh, very excited. As always, I'm joined by Neil. Hello. And Chase. Hi. Chase is uh, burnt out, it seems, already. We haven't even begun. What is burnout? Never heard of that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're very excited to get started. Um, a couple of questions about this, guys. Uh, number one, um, Alan Wake. This is probably one of my favorite games of all time. What do you know about this? I know it's associated with Control, Ooh. of which I played the first hour. So you don't know how it's associated with And thought it was very boring. Fair enough. I feel like I asked you this in when I picked up Control, because you were the one who convinced me to pick up Control. Um... And you said that they were the same universe and had no connection. Pretty um, much, yeah. And I, uh, As I remember it, so... And I know... I might have played it back in the day. I know the setting. I know who Alan Wake is. I know why he's doing what he's doing. I know the mechanics and the combat. Okay. Um, and I remember a little bit of the side character stuff, but very surface level. But yeah. the overarching mystery, you know what's going on, do you? I don't remember the resolution of the mystery, but okay. I remember I remember the mystery itself. Yeah, no, this the, the, Alan Wake specifically, I know absolutely nil about. Mm. I I know the name, and I know that it is at least somewhat popular. Cool. And I think it takes place in the woods. Uh, woods correct? Yes. Yeah, so that's about the only thing I know. We're, we're, we're gonna. So I guess straight. nil is incorrect. I know woods. <laughs> um, well, we're, we're gonna go straight. Do you like Twin Peaks? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Twin Peaks in this. A I, lot. I have never watched Twin Peaks. Oh, because, yeah, because, really? First off, I'm. So, I, I feel. I, I. I feel like the podcast listeners already know this. And I don't know how you two don't. We have. There's a very clear wall of divide in terms of interest in gaming here. We wherein like good stuff, you no, like Kingdom Hearts. I, I sit on the side of JRPGs, and you all sit on the side of trash. <laughs> Twin Peaks was not trash. Yes, it was not. I'm sorry, Mr. I play an hour and a half of FIFA every night. I, didn't. I said 10 minutes to an hour. Hour and a half every night. A night. <laughs> all right. You guys ready? We're going to cut, jump straight into it. So, Let's go. <clears throat> Alan Wake. So I'm going to walk you through, the plan is, I'm going to walk you through Alan Wake in this episode. And the next episode I'm going to cover is DLC and its expansion, Alan Wake's American Nightmare. And in oh, that, isn't, yeah. isn't it all of our American Nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> and in that second episode, uh, I'm also going to couple uh, cover a couple of fun marketing things that may or not may not be important to the canon question mark we'll see um so yeah so first of all i want to show you this guy sam lake oh yeah this is the creative director oh, of alan so wake squinty well you'll find out in a minute so uh, legitimately there's a reason why i chose that picture so i know the creative director of alan wake this is sam lake he is the creative director of alan wake quantum break control and one other series oh, is this related to quantum should... break this is related to quantum break is yes it... oh i'm familiar with that one as well mm. is it max Payne? it is max Payne. absolutely there you go <laughs> uh so that is the max Payne look so remedy did not have when they worked on max Payne, remedy the company that made all these games um, when they, they, they're the creators of Max Payne and when they worked on Max Payne they didn't have enough money to hire real actors at the time they were just a small little indie studio on PS2 so what they did was they splashed Sam Lake's face onto Max Payne's body and as a result you've got the classic <laughs> Max Payne smirk uh, but yes it's, yeah. anyway I just wanted to flag that to you because I love Sam Lake and you watch him do interviews and things 
and he's just such a nice guy, and you hear about some of the work practices at Remedy, and it's all really lovely and nurturing, and they're just, they are, they are the standard. If half of what is true about that studio is is, is true, yeah, that's how, that's it's a, the standard that all companies a, should reach for. a rarity as well. It really it? is. There's no crunch, I, can, I no tell nothing. you what, I could go a new Max Payne game. Mm. I could really do with that. Well, they're getting remakes um, in the next couple of years, so you know that might scratch that itch. Anyway, I just wanted to flag that to you. I just wanted to give you a bit of a face to the franchise as we move forwards, because God loves Sam Lake, and he's great. Anyway, you ready? We're actually kicking into story time now. Yes, so, part one. So, yes, it began with a dream. So we open with some beautiful forestry out by the mountains in the state of Washington, and we hear a voice saying, Stephen King once wrote that nightmares exist out of logic. Yes, that is exactly how it opens. It is Alan Wake saying something that Stephen King once wrote. Really, a, a spooky story about a writer has to open with the, Stephen King. The, the Stephen King-isms are rife in this. That and the Twin Peak-isms. So, Stephen King once wrote that nightmares... Just, 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 yeah? just uh, cut aside. I'm doing my, my fun quote. Okay, What's I get that. But I feel, I feel this is really important and I feel like I need to get this... Ahead of time. Do you also not like Stephen King? <laughs> no, Stephen King is fine. Um, I just need to know a, a very quick thirty-second overview. What is Twin Peaks, and what do I need to know? That is you don't here. need you don't need to know anything about Twin Peaks. They're okay. not connected. There's a lot of cute it's homages. A show, right? It's a TV yeah, show. Okay. Yeah, it's by a, David Lynch. It's a very weird, creepy mystery horror mm. uh, set in a very rural uh, uh, part of America. Okay, so where it's very Stephen King-esque. Yes, yeah, but yeah, with yeah, the David, yeah. but with the David Lynch absurdism and mm. horror and weirdness, okay. it's very funny and at points it's terrifying it's terrifying and creepy. Terrifying. It's a murder mystery where an FBI agent called Dale Cooper comes to this city okay. and he's involved. He's investigating the murder of a girl in the city, uh, city, sorry, town, small yes. mountain town. And while he's there, weird stuff happens. Terribly weird stuff. And I really cannot just. It's not like he uncovers encounters vampires and ghosts. It's like just weird he finds a room and in the room is like people that talk backwards and it's just the bizarre. closest you can get to a thing that you like understand out of context is there's may maybe some possession yes and yes. yeah okay it's but okay. but none of it is ever really truly explained in a way no. that is concrete a lot of it is interpretations well that would upset me you don't need to worry about any of that Fantastic. it's it's Back more yeah way. yeah it's it's more just that the, the twin peaks is an inspiration for this it has nothing to do with the plot and the plot is not the twin peaks plot okay i'm sorry for interrupting your stephen king isms please return Stephen King once wrote that nightmares exist out of logic, and there's little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical to the poetry of fear. In a horror story, the victim keeps asking why, but there could be no explanation, and there shouldn't be one. The unanswered mystery is what stays with us longest, and it's what we remember in the end. My name's Alan Wake. I'm a writer. So that's how we open, okay? Good opening. We cut to a highway. It's night. Alan is driving furiously in his car. Alan continues with the, the interior monologue. I've always had a vivid imagination, but this dream unsettled me. It was wild and dark and weird, even by my standards. So yes, it began with a dream. Following a typical nightmare pattern, I was late, desperately trying to reach my destination, a lighthouse. For some urgent reason, I couldn't remember. Alan hits a hitchhiker. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. The car careens off of the road. He staggers out of it, bruised and dazed, and the hitchhiker is nowhere to be seen. 
Following his dream logic, Alan starts heading for the lighthouse. There's something waiting for him there, but oh no, suddenly the hitchhiker or the shadow or whatever it is appears swinging an axe. He's like, you think you're God? You think you could just make up stuff? Play with people's lives when, you, when it adds to the drama? You're a really shitty writer and you're in this story now, dickhead. Desperately looking for a way to <laughs> desperately looking for a way to protect himself, Alan races into a nearby cabin where he meets a man called Clay Stewart. Huh? Clay seems to recognize Alan, but Alan doesn't know where from. The hitchhiker suddenly appears and lodges an axe into Clay's chest. Bye bye, Clay. But don't Aww. worry, there's still there's still someone here to help Alan. A beam of light shoots down from the heavens, leading Alan out of the other side of the cabin, closer Aliens? to the lighthouse, and speaks to him. What was that, Chase? Aliens? Um... Aliens. Sure, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> I have something important to tell you, the light says. It goes like this. For he did not know that beyond the lake he called home lies a deeper, darker ocean green, where waves are both wilder and more serene. To its ports I've been. It pauses, and then it goes, Do you understand? No. Alan's like, no, and the light's like, Look, man, I entered your dream to teach you. The darkness is dangerous. It's sleeping now. When it feels you coming... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. The darkness is dangerous? Darkness, yes. Oh, 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 I'm invested in this game now. Oh, you're going to love this then. It's, yeah. So it's, it says, um, so yeah. Uh, so look, I'm here to teach you. It's a tutorial, right? It's basically like, I'm here to teach you. The darkness is dangerous. It's sleeping now. When it feels you coming, it will wake up. The hitchhiker has been taken over by the dark presence. Capital T, capital D, capital P. Okay. <laughs> the dark presence. We need the light and the keyblade to fix this. Sit down. So Alan, Alan is like, what is happening? And the light's like, you're on your own. Here's a gun and a flashlight for a combat tutorial. I'll give you back a dream now and leaves. And it just, it's gone. Oh, it's a shooter. It is. I love it. When Not a like... shooter, a horror thriller shooter. It's all uh, resource management. Get find, Make sure you've got the right bullets. Shoot some monsters. So it's Resi. Not quite. No, because it's not. I wouldn't describe it as a survival horror. It is an action horror. It's an action thriller. So the Dark Presence leaves, Alan has his torch and his gun. Um, so he journeys on, Alan journeys on, getting closer and closer to the lighthouse. But oh no, the hitchhiker is back and it erupts into a massive tornado of darkness. The tornado chases Alan, you're, but you're just, on. you're just baiting me. You're baiting me at this point. So he turns to a massive tornado of darkness that chases Alan. But just as he reaches the lighthouse, a curly haired anime boy shows up and says, you need friends. If if you if you're listening to this looking for if you're listening to this looking for a remedy verse or Alan Wake Lord dub, I'm so sorry. This is a series where recently Chase led us through every single Kingdom Hearts game <laughs> where darkness is a factor. I'm getting um, this. I'm getting it out of my system at the start. No, get into the spooky mode, spooky vibes. Ooh. I'm ready. I'm going to turn this light off. I'll do it, and then we'll get spooky. Don't do it, Chase. <laughs> He's turned the light off. Okay, everybody, we're now in darkness. So. Fine. This is the way we're doing yeah, this I now. quite like this. I actually quite enjoy this. Yeah. It's quite nice in the eyes. So Alan's running for the tornado. He reaches the lighthouse. And just as he bursts in and looks up, he wakes up in the passenger seat of a car. It's morning. His wife, Alice Wake, comforts him. She's like, shh, baby, it's just another nightmare. It's okay. Get over it. Cheer up. We're here. <laughs> and we get the iconic... Slightly dismissive. And we get the iconic sweeping shot of a fairy coming into ta the town of Bright Falls. 
Oh, I love old train bridges. Bright Falls. And it swoops Bright over it. Bright Falls. Bright Falls? Bright Falls. Why are you saying it like that? I don't know. Just a feeling. <laughs> okay, so stepping out of the car onto the ferry that's bringing the two of them into the town. Um, Alice is like, hey, let's act like we're on vacation. We are on vacation, so that, that'll cheer you up, right? Go stand next to that old man and I'll get a photo of the two of you. <laughs> it's a very odd place to go on vacation to. Well, they're not. Do they have family here, friends? No, it's just a small secluded mountain town. Why would you go on vacation Oh, now? it's just a cute wee cabin in the woods though, isn't it? It's just nice. They're just gonna chill out very- Have you never been on a, on a, into a cabin in the woods vacation? I have been on a cabin. I've been on a cabin in the woods vacation. Wonderful. I can't tell if you mean that seriously. No, sincerely. sincerely yeah. oh, we, I, I can't say I have. My parents used to take us to youth hostels when I was little. Okay, but that, that feels different. No, I'm talking a cabin like you're about to see. Uh, there's there's a cabin, and I've been into that cabin. Not that specific cabin, but... <laughs> anyway, this, yeah, this concept of getting away is a pretty natural thing, Chase. Nothing to doubt here. Nothing suspicious going on there, okay? Don't worry. I, I, I appreciate that you're already thinking about mysteries and things, but not yet. Oh, I absolutely wasn't. I was just okay. thinking that it was a stupid place to go on vacation. So... <laughs> They step out into the car to the ferry, right? And Alice is like, hey, let's act like we're on vacation. Go go take a picture of this random old man. And Alan, because she's she loves, she's got her for camera. She's a photographer. Do they ask her, the old her, man? Her camera. Well, Alan, who is full of love and devotion for his wife, chuckles to himself and does as she asks. So the old man introduces himself as Pat Main, the local radio DJ of Bright Falls. He's like, hey, you picked a good time to visit our town. Deerfest is just two weeks away. Oh, yes. Yeah, Deerfest, good times. Say, don't I recognize you? Are you Alan Wake, the famous writer? I hope this isn't too presumptuous of me, but if you're in town, do you think maybe you could come by the radio station for an interview? My listeners would love it. He's like, oh my God, celebrity, this is great. Everybody knows who Alan Wake is. He's a big deal, big shot writer. He's the Stephen King of this universe, okay. right? Everybody knows who he is. So Alan is like, hey man, I'm on holiday. No to the interview. And honestly, let's just keep it on the DL that I'm even here. Please don't be weird about this. And before the conversation can continue, Alan's mobile phone rings. On the end of the line, we hear a strong New York accent. Here we go. Yes, I'm doing, I don't care. You're not shutting me down. I'm doing Barry Wheeler. Okay, I'll tell you what, Chase and I are gonna be deadly silent during this next period to hear the New York accent. Here we go, ready? I can't do this though. I can only do his intro later. So he goes, Hey, bestseller, it's Barry Wheeler, your favorite agent. Just checking in that you're doing okay. Are the locals giving you trouble? Just say the word and I'll hop on a plane and start kicking ass for you, pal. Just want to make sure you can relax and recharge. So, how is the place? Got your creative juices flowing? I'll call back later to check in how things are going. Just looking out for you, buddy. And that's my Barry Wheeler, and it will continue for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care. I love Barry Wheeler. It's giving... It's giving... High school theatre production. <laughs> <laughs> I will so, take it. So Alan is not just here for a holiday. He's here to, to get over some sort of writer's block or to... Yeah. Okay, cool. So Alan, after all that monologue where Alan just literally doesn't get a word in, is like, I love you too, Barry. Bye. And Alice rolls her eyes as he hangs up the phone. And she's like, you know he'll be calling you every five minutes. And as if Barry She's like, you love her. him more than me, don't you? <laughs> um, and yeah, so she's like, oh, he's going he's to be calling you every five minutes. You need to just turn your phone off. And almost as if Barry could hear her, he texts Alan. We get a text from Barry at the exact same time, which says, say hi to Alice for me. <laughs> so he's like a little shit. Hey, say hi to Alice for me. <laughs> no, it's not quite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... 
Alan and Alice head over to the old deer diner to meet a man called Carl Stuckey and pick up the keys to their cabin. He was very into their deers. I really love how this game... I really miss... This period of graphics was mm. great. When mm. was this sort of like 2009-ish? It is really worth me noting that a lot of the screenshots you're getting are from the remastered game that yeah. came out recently. But It's really clean. It's, yeah. This is maybe a commentary on the game industry and its current state overall and also the movie industry. Um, why does it need a remake? It, not a remake, a remaster, and it needs a remaster because Wait, not. Did you, you say a remake is coming? No, 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 no. No, that was Max, Max Payne, Payne, which is a uh, PS2 game. Which is a, it's that's a PS2 game. This is an Xbox 360 game that did not sell well, but the people that played it loved it, and, and there is a sequel coming out. So they released a remaster to get people rehyped for it. Oh, okay, okay. Which is fair enough. Um, and I bought the remaster. I suppose that's fair. Yeah. Look, it's it's Remedy, it. Remedy or an indie studio. I'll Remedy allow it. Week. Yeah, they're just they're just trying to get their their funding for Alan Wake Two. Anyhow, anyhow, so <laughs> anyhow, they get, so they go to the Odier Diner. Um, where they're looking for a guy called Carl Stuckey. They don't want to pick up their keys to the lodge. And Alan is like, I forgot there were small places like this, towns where everybody knew everybody. He's not particularly impressed with Bright Falls. He kind of just wants to be left alone. And his first experience of the town is the local radio DJ being like, hey, do you want to do an interview? And like, he's a bit like, I just want to be left alone, please, people. But if that's what he wants, he's come to the wrong place because we meet a whole host of wacky characters in the diner. So the first is a waitress. Every single one knows him. Straight up, they all, pretty much. So the first is a waitress, a woman called Rose, who immediately recognises him and is like, I'm your biggest fan, what do you want? Coffee? Cake? Me? I've got all your books. And Alan sees a wood, yeah, straight up, she like fancies the hell out of him. And Alan sees a wooden cutout of himself next to the window, promoting his latest book, titled The Sudden Stop. Oh no. Mm. He tries to conceal his frustration. Rose is like, OMG, yes, the cutout. I got it from the bookstore when they took it out from the window. Do you like it? I just means I get to see you every single day. And isn't that just the best thing ever? I love you. Alan's kind of an asshole. Like the, the, this whole like, I'd forgotten that small towns even existed. Mm-hmm. I live in my big New York penthouse and I read my books. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, At the counter next to Rose is... Rusty, a park ranger, sipping his morning coffee. Um, Alan tries to avoid eye contact, but Rusty's like, Mr. Wake, try the coffee. Just don't blame me when you fall in love because it'll break your heart when you have to leave here. And Alan grunts that he's looking for Carl Stuckey and Rose is like, oh yeah, I just saw him go to the bathroom. He'll be out in a wee minute. Um, so Alan doesn't want to wait. He's sick and tired. He doesn't want to hang around with these two lunatics. So he's like, right, screw this. I'm going. So he just goes straight into the back of the diner, intending to, I guess... Just grab Carl Stuckey while he's in the loo. Um, but boom, another interruption from da, 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 the Anderson brothers, Tor and Odin. Tor and one and of them, Odin. one of them has an eye patch. Wow. That's strange. Odin has an eye patch, and Tor has a big beard. Yes. Is is that meant to mean something or just be? They're Tor and Odin. I'm aware. I, I'm, I'm aware <laughs> of what it's intending to mean. Mm-hmm. Is that meant to be something in the greater mystery, or is that meant to just be a dumb naming thing? They're Tor and Odin. Sure. And is that them in the picture at their booth? Yes. <laughs> that is their booth. Yeah. They are definitely the two sort of guys that are like, "This is our booth." Yeah. Don't sit in our booth. You know, yeah. Tor and Odin, they're chilling. Um, Odin is like straight up just snoring. He's just falling asleep. Uh, but he, he, he wakes up um, and he looks at Alan and he's like, you, Sonny, can you give that jukebox over there a big whack? I want to hear my favorite song. 
coconut, but my legs have fallen asleep. And yes, that is exactly how he says coconut. That is straight up exactly how he says that in the game. Tor ignores Alan altogether. He's like, are you serious? Coconut again? Call yourself a rocker? Unbelievable. Odin ignores him and just starts singing coconut. He's like, you put the lime in the coconut and drink. Like straight up just starts just singing it. Um, Rusty leans over and is like, hey man. Sorry, no. Rusty, the park ranger, leans over and goes, hey man, don't mind the Anderson brothers. They're local musicians. They're actually why I'm here. We're waiting for Dr. Hartman to come and pick them up. They wandered off from his clinic at Cauldron Lake Lodge. Yeah. So they've just like, they just wandered off into town and he's come to pick them up. For anyone that wants a full version of Monty singing the Lime in the Coconut song, it will be available via the Patreon. No, it will not. (laughs) So Alan manages to wrestle himself away from everyone, but then he's not done. He's not done bumping into wacky characters. So he bumps into this woman, Cynthia Weaver, cradling a lantern and staring down a dark hallway leading to the diner's restrooms. She jumps seeing Alan and is like, don't go down there, young man. And you'll hurt yourself in the dark. But Alan's like, I can handle it, buzz off, and just goes down the corridor. But there's one more person, one final person for him to meet. Standing outside the bathroom is a pale woman dressed in black. And she gets a cutscene, apparently. Mm. She's wearing a black veil. Carl couldn't make it, she says. Unfortunately, he's taken ill. But I have the key for you and the instructions on how to get to the cabin. I wish you a good stay at my cabin. Cauldron Lake is a special place. Very inspiring. I'll come by later to check how you've settled in and meet your wife. I insist. Ooh. Alan is like... Don't like that. Thanks. And he takes the key and he gets the hell out of there. But he's probably like, this is a bit weird. But he, must, he must be feeling confident though because when that lady was like, don't go down there at the darkness, he's like... A, a, a light bulb in my dream gave me a gun and a flashlight. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, so he he takes the keys. He's like, thanks, and just goes. Like, he's like, I don't want to be in this diner anymore. It's full of. He basically just categorizes this person into all of the other lunatics he's met. So that seems like a mistake given the cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, don't you know this is a cutscene? <laughs> <laughs> the aspect ratio changed in everything. I'm not gonna lie. I feel like your bar for lunatic is a little low. Most of the people in here just seem like normal people. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Yeah, it's just they're, they're all they're all quirky, right? They're all yeah. And from Alan's perspective, he's more annoyed by them than perhaps a normal person would be. I mean, I don't know. Rose did try to like hump him as he walked through the door. Okay. She was like, <laughs> the rest of them seem, you know, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got you got a couple of old ex rockers with dementia. You got a park ranger here to pick them up. A crazy old lady about lights who just seems to be really obsessed with light for some reason, and a waitress that wants to shag him. Yeah. Exactly. A perfectly normal would, American you would, diner. You would you would tell your friends I, I you would tell like, your friends about it later that day, but you might not. I feel like you've not been to an American diner in a while. It feels pretty normal to me. <laughs> so he, he he steps out. He steps out and he gets into the car with Alice. And as he gets in, Alice is like, you have fun? He's like, <laughs> right? And then, then they go off. And a man comes, as they drive off, we see a man stagger out of the diner behind them uh, in overalls. And he's wearing a name badge that reads Carl Stucky. Oh, and she said he wasn't available. He said he wasn't available. Mrs. Wake, Carl yells after them. You, you forgot your keys. So sometime later... Alan and Alice start driving up to their holiday home, this this little cabin. Eventually, they arrive at Bird's Lake Cabin on Cauldron Lodge. 
Alice is like, gosh, Bright Falls is so beautiful, it would make a great setting for a book. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But Alan's like, we're supposed to be on vacation, Alice. I'll figure out when we get back home, okay? Please stop pressuring me to writing books. I'm beginning to freak out a little bit and have panic attacks about this. Can you just back off? Okay. Just having a bad time about people pressuring about this book. He's had Barry call. He's had Rose have a go on about the book. Now Alice is talking about it. He's just not in a good place about that. This looks gorgeous, though. The the, yes. the art design of this little island is great. It's really lovely. I love uh, real-life location, by the way. Um, so in order to go and sort out Alan Wake, Remedy went out to, I don't remember where it is, but it's it's somewhere in America. And they basically found this Cauldron oh, Lake gosh. Lodge. I, I, think, I think I remember years ago you sent me a thing and they were like sending back pictures and audio mm. clips of how it sounded. And oh. yeah. Yeah, it's incredible how much. Now this, this, this yeah. island. Lord on Blad's trip went. I would do it in a million years to go and visit that town because they also went to the town where Twin Peaks was shot to get cons because a lot of Bright Falls, the architecture and stuff is based around Twin Peaks. That's why I was curious if you knew Twin Peaks. Somebody That's pay us reason. to go to America. We'll go and do it. Mm. So he thinks to himself, so Alan thinks to himself how badly he just wants to bury his head in the sand. He hasn't been able to write a word in two years. Alice booked this vacation to take his mind off of it. They get into the cabin and settle in. Night falls in Bright Falls. Already, Alan starts to feel a little spark of inspiration, like some nugget is getting there in his brain without him even wanting it to. Um, he starts to think that maybe the cabin could be a good setting for a love story. Ooh. Alice calls him up to the bedroom. She has a surprise for him. Seems like she has the same idea. And Alan's like, yes! <laughs> right? But Alice isn't the surprise. A typewriter is. Oh, this is so mean of her. Sitting in the I know bedroom. she thinks she's being thoughtful, but does she know how stressed out he is about well, this? Well, here's the worst bit, right? So Alice straight up is like, yoo come out to the bedroom. Like, really enticingly, the game purposely makes you think that they're going to shag. And as oh, you're I going up... No, 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 but, but to add to it, right? So but the, just just to add, right? So and Alice's like, oh, and he goes up the stairs, like, thinking, yeah, you know, it's very clear that he thinks he's going to get a shag on. And as he goes up the stairs, there's a pair of jeans. Alice's pair of jeans that she's been wearing is draped over the banister and everything. So you're like, oh, this is happening. And then he goes into the bedroom where Alice is, and Alice is sitting there in a vest top and her underwear. And she's like, I'm not the surprise. Go into the study. It's there. And you're like, okay, okay. right. The, the, this is them sure, the, 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 the denial of suggested sex is mm. one thing. But like, did we not just have a line where they were like, after all, we came here so you wouldn't have to think about your writing. Oh, I agree. Yes, <laughs> hugely. Yeah, to, to, to be clear, the denial of suggested sex is not yeah, the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah but yeah, it's exactly. just, it's the, the yeah. Alan is up on this high where he thinks, oh, yeah. this is going to help me, you know, I'm going to yeah. chill out and have a lovely weekend with my wife. No, it's, it's the typewriter. So there's a typewriter sitting in the spare bedroom waiting for him. That wasn't very nice of her. I hope something no. happens to her. No, that seems... <laughs> <laughs> a bit much. <laughs> so... Alice is really pleased with herself. She thought that this would be just the thing to cure Alan's writer's block. Nice scenery, time away, a brand new typewriter, but seeing it, Alan straight up flies off the handle. Oh, he snap yeah, he snaps out. He's like, God damn it, Alice, you everyone keeps pushing me to But Alice holds firm. Just hear me out. There's a local doctor, Dr. Hartman. I read a book of his. He has a private clinic here. He specializes in helping artists. But Alan's having none of it. So now you want to get me committed? He storms out of the cabin into the dead of night. But he doesn't get very far. Up the stairs, we hear Alice scream. All of the lights go out. When Alan gets back to the bedroom, Alice is nowhere to be seen. But the window has been smashed open. He looks out. Oh God, no, something happened to her. Yeah, so hope you're happy with yourself, Neil. This is all your fault, really. I had an entire other script planned, <laughs> just in case. 
Um, so, but the window has been smashed open. He looks out into the lake below, sees the outline of his wife. The lake has eaten Alice. Without thinking... What Alan do you mean by eaten? Eaten. Alice. Alice is in the lake. The lake has eaten Alice. Okay, so she's fallen into the lake. The lake has eaten Alice. <laughs> she, she fell into the Gosh, lake. Gosh, you'd be fun to tell a horror story too, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, Alice is in the lake. Without thinking, I can't wait to do Silent Hill one day. <laughs> and this happens. So you mean it stabs him? You're no. not allowed any dramatic flourishes, no, okay? No. We will not have it. No. Hyperboles aren't fun. They're not. <laughs> Without thinking, Alan leaps in after her. We cut to black. When Alan awakens, he's in the driver's seat of a crashed car in the middle of the woods. Oh. He doesn't know how he got there. All he knows is something happened to Alice. He checks the boot of the car for clues and sees a book. The Creator's Dilemma by a Dr. Emile Hartman. Seeing it, he gets deep pangs of guilt from his fight with Alice. She was just trying to help. He doesn't like it, and he doesn't like the guy's smug face on the cover either. So, Alan Wake, and this is just a general overview of how the game works, right? Alan Wake is broken up into chapters, and the majority of those chapters involve Alan in the woods, fighting monsters, uncovering secrets, etc. Heading towards... Is, there, is this meant to be like him fighting his inner demons? You'll find out what it's about. Okay. But obviously, I'm not going to narrate everything that happens in the woods because the majority of it is Alan shoots his gun, but one of the things he finds are manuscript pages, right? Pages from a book called Departure. His name is on them, but he doesn't remember writing it. In the scene on the page, the hero gets attacked by an axe murderer in the woods at night. These are all optional collectibles, these manuscript pages. And while I'm not going to list off every single one to you, I am going to show you a few because they're really interesting and they give us a wee bit of dramatic tension. Are they our, our Ansem reports, but with a bit more <laughs> in, in, you know, in-story dramatic yeah. relevance? Imagine the Ansem reports, but good. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'm just gonna go home. <laughs> so get lured up without me. Please, please don't. Please don't. Uh, so in a desperate search for help, right? So so we're gonna go back to the manuscript pages later on. At the end, I've got this separated into parts. At the end of each part, I'm gonna. Do you have the final part after the after the post credit scene? For the reports? No. You're getting the reports throughout um, because you're going to get them kind of in the order that he finds them. And okay. at the end of each one, I've got four or five that I'm going to read you that are very interesting and I've paced them very particularly. So it'll be very good. So anyway, in a desperate search for help, Alan works through the woods and eventually makes it to a logging yard where he sees a man cloaked in shadow. Darkness oozing off of him, dressed in overalls. That's Carl. Wielding an axe. Yes, that's Carl. It is Carl. You're absolutely correct. Uh, the game, the game doesn't pretend. You, you've clocked it very well. We call these guys the Taken. They're our enemies. Okay. So is he just killing the villagers? So he's out there with his axe and he's cloaked in darkness. And Alan sees him and he goes, "Hi, can you help me? I've been in an accident." And the guy turns and he's he's like he's, he pulls an axe. Out that's of, classic like, horror movie, isn't it? Classic. He's like, yeah. And, and, and so Stucky, or the what was formerly Stucky, this Taken creature, it pulls its its axe out of a bit of wood, and it goes, 
Premium cabins for rent in Night Falls, the figure shouts. His voice is all like warped and dark, and it's just like morphing bits of it, and it's like dipping in and out with its octaves. Carl Stuckey, pleased to meet you. Non-refundable deposit required, fair and square. And cue a boss fight with a monstrous version of Carl Stuckey in the woods. So as you fight him, he shouts stuff at you like, you fail to arrive, you lose the deposit. Like it's straight out like that. It's it's just all over the fucking shot. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's the latest thing. So Alan gets a hand. He's punch. a crazy wacky guy. <laughs> crazy wacky guy. Uh, so Alan gets a handy torch and a gun. Oh, look at that! Isn't that? I, Wait, I, where do you get those from? Oh, I just found them. They're just there. <laughs> as just as there. as every American woods People has. Notoriously careless. Don't you know that every American woods just has. Oh. Random guns like that. Yeah, I, I've heard that no one's ever actually bought a gun. They're well, just found in the woods. It's true. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm being if I'm being super frank about it, technically it makes a little bit of sense because it's it doesn't. Right. Please yeah. explain. So Bright Falls is a hunting town, right? It's deer fest. The point is, you all go out in a big. You hunt don't shoot a deer with a handgun. Uh, no, but you got other guns and things just in case. And uh, just in case what deer. a deer. Well, just in case you get attacked, you need to take one out, take one out up yeah. close. <laughs> And of course, every hunter worth their salt is just leaving their expensive guns in the woods. Well, exactly, because something's out here taking them. So surely the weapons will be left behind you. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Don't you come at me over Alan Wake. I won't. (laughs) Are they hunting in the middle of the night, though? When were they taken? Chase, they've been full-on Liam Neeson. So you, you so yeah, you, you get your gun and your torch, right? And the point is that you need to use the torch to weaken them and burn all the darkness off them before you can shoot them dead. So light versus dark. Yeah, sure. light versus dark. Of course. So he gets a handy torch. He uses it. He burns the darkness off of stuck. But is the darkness he, evil? He shoots them dead. Okay, <laughs> that's what's important. And yes, Chase, I can categorically tell you that there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The darkness, I mean, darkness, no, bad. There's no gray or road to dawn no. or path to the other world. Darkness, or... bad in the Alan Wake universe. I'm so sorry for everybody listening who does not care about Kingdom Hearts and has never listened to the Kingdom you Hearts have, once. You have, you have permanently infected this podcast <laughs> with the DNA of Kingdom Hearts. You're not allowed to ruin one of my favorite games of all time with this nonsense. <laughs> You're not allowed. So Alan kills Stucky. Right, boom, dead. So he has to he has to burn the I know you said this but I'm just ca- kind of catching yep. this up he has to burn the darkness off him with the torchlight and then shoot him dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, but but at that point isn't he shooting a, a normal dude if he's already gotten rid of the darkness? Well, even though the the darkness is almost like a shield to the bullets, but and then once it's off, Carl Stuckey's like Carl Stuckey, like he's still trying to comfort him with an axe and, okay. and warped and okay, stuff. Right. There's there's a I don't have it in here, but you basically learn, and I'll just stay, tell you straight up because it's it's really just a write off. Once you're taken, you're taken, zombie style, right? There ain't no coming, no back, coming back from this. There's no coming back from this. So this isn't a dream. These are... We're in reality. This is reality. Don't worry about dreams anymore. The dream at the start was just a tutorial to tease things. Uh, we're in now proper story game territory. So, he kills Stucky. And Alan makes it, eventually makes it to a highway and a gas station, all locked up for the night. And as he enters, a TV bursts into life, where he sees himself in the cabin on Cauldron Lake. Mm. Strange. I'll write... The Alan in the screen says, I'll keep writing. Outside, there's only darkness. Outside the cabin, outside the story, there's only darkness. I can feel her presence in the dark. Just now, I could smell her perfume. I'll reach her. I'll find her. I'll fix it. I'll bring it back. If I stop writing, she's lost. So Alan is like, am I losing my mind? I don't remember this. 
What is happening? He's never sat down in that place, right? He, they literally just got there and then the, the lake swallowed her. Sure. They got there, had their fight, Alan left, Alice gone. You mean she fell into the lake? <laughs> <laughs> the, the lake went nom nom on her. <laughs> I'll accept that one. That's acceptable. So uh, Alan is like, what is happening? And I need help. So what he does is he calls 911, right? And eventually the local sheriff, Sarah Breaker, pulls up sometime later. And she's like, did you call? What are you doing here? What's going on? Why do you need our help? And Alan is like, look, I've been in a car crash. I don't know what's happened. My wife and I were staying in the cabin on Cauldron Lake. And Sarah is like, what are you talking about? There is no cabin on Cauldron Lake. Not since the eruption in the 70s. Alan collapses to his Eruption? Is there a volcano? Volcanic volcanic eruption in the 70s, yeah. So she's like, there's no cabin. What are you talking about? Um, and Alan collapses to his knees. It's been a long night, but Sarah says that she will take him to the lake to prove what she's saying, and then they will swing by the station. She's like, fine, let's see if there's a cabin on the lake, man, because he's like, there's got to be a cabin. There was a cabin. We were in the cabin. Well, at least she's, at least she's hearing him out. Sarah, Sarah's hearing him out. So she sounded like her. They drive on over to the lake, where we see that Sarah was right. Somehow, there is no cabin there. It's all gone, just the inky black water of Cauldron Lake. So did did that signage? Because just for anyone listening, we can see the the road and the bridge that led to the cabin, presumably in the seventies. How did the signage and the fence posting survive the eruption of the volcano? Like, there's still a little bridge. They rebuilt it. It's a memorial. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> they even rebuilt the little bridge, collapsed into the lake. That was nice yes. of them. Okay. Sorry. Continue. So and that that is where episode one ends of Alan Wake, um, and that's it. So. Uh, do you want to hear some manuscript pages? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Cool. Okay. So I've got a, I've got two for you this time for number one. So manuscript page number one. Uh, he finds a bunch more than this. I've just picked out some interesting ones to give you a bit of a tease. All right. Number one. Barry Wheeler was bouncing off the walls. He jumped on a plane after his calls were ignored by both Al and Alice for several days. It could mean that they were both on a second honeymoon, but Barry didn't buy it. Al had been way too unstable for that. Not sleeping. Messed up. Okay, so that's one. And these are. Oh, he's calling because he cares. These are are pages from a book that presumably Alan. Where the implication is Alan's written this book but doesn't remember it. Yes, Alan is finding these pages in the woods, scattered throughout the woods. We don't know how. Future Al or Al that's forgotten. He wrote this story or maybe. Or another universe Al or. We don't know where it's come from. But the, the key thing there to note is that Barry's on his way and Alan hasn't been sleeping and he's been kind of messed up recently. So, hmm. Uh, Number two, and this is the second one before we move into the next part of the story. It's a bit longer. Rose knew that she had been gushing, Rose from the diner, who loves Alan Wake. But right now, she didn't care. As far as she was concerned, her brief meeting with Alan Wake was literally the high point of her life. She watched as he got in the car with his wife. She was pretty, confident, not like Rose. They were perfect for each other. She'd have given anything to be called her friend. And I have a third one. It's a little tease, but it's one, and it's one that we find next episode. But so I'm going to give it to you early. The air was heavy with an awful smell, as if some rotten, drowned thing had crawled up from its grave. Rusty, the park ranger from the diner, kept coughing blood. My eyes were drawn to the twisted shape of his broken leg. The attack had been vicious. Max whined in his cage. Rusty's eyes were wild with fear and terror. Mr. Wake, he gasped. It happened just the way it was on that page. Did the lake nom nom everybody? Part two. 
is titled I'm Barry Wheeler, his agent. Wheeler? Wheeler. Wheeler. Wheelad. Episode two is called Taken. I, I will give you, because each the game does break itself up to episodes. So episode one is called Nightmare. Episode two is called Taken. Part two is called I'm Barry Wheeler's agent. Episode two of the game is I'm Taken. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't Let's move on. Three years earlier. <laughs> three years earlier from Bright Falls. Alan comes home from his apartment in New York. He's beardless and looks like a frog. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember writing that, but I'll take it. Alice is working on the cover of his new book, The Sudden Stop, soon to come out. Oh, she's still fine. Oh, Alice is fine. This is three years ago. ago. Oh, oh, I I thought I heard three years later. No, three years earlier. Yeah, we're in New York. We're in New York. Alice is working on the cover of his new book soon to come out. So bear in mind, Alice is a photographer. She takes all the pictures for like the inside cover sleeves and she creates the covers for his books and stuff. That's her passion. She's an artist. Alan is like, hot damn, these are brilliant, Alice. And Alice is like, on occasion, I can work miracles. You seem to think so last night. Oh, Uh, sex. Sex. (laughs) So then the lights go out. Chase, oh, no. Chase is no, Chase, amused. Chase, they done a sex on each other. I'm celibate. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, for, I forgot that about you. That's canon, listeners. That is canon. Yes, so they're like, oh, maybe we should have this, do the sex right now. And then, the, and, then, and then the lights go out, right? Well, so much for monetization. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the, so the light, lights go out um, and Alice shrieks. She screams at the top of her lungs. She's having a horrible time. She is terrified of the dark. It, she she has a very so real, this is a real flashback. A, this is a real flashback that happened, and we learn that Alice has a deep fear of the dark. Oh, no, this is the, the worst story for her. Mm-hmm. So Alan grabs some torches and some lamps and things. He holds her close, and together they light up some candles for one of my favorite scenes in the game. Unironically, love I love this scene. Alan and Alice cuddle together on their sofa, and Alice asks, "Tell me a story, writer." So Alan tells her a story. He puts on his narrator voice and everything. And he does. He has two voices and you hear the difference. Um, I used to have these nightmares when I was a kid. The dark really spooked me too. When it got really bad, my mom gave me this old light switch. She called it the clicker. If I ever got dark, I would just flick this magic switch and it would scare the monsters away. And Alice is like, oh, oh, sure. Okay, right. Very funny. Ha ha ha. You're teasing me. Um, and Alan reaches into his pocket and pulls out an old light switch. Here it is. Maybe it'll help you too. How long have they been together and he's not revealed that he carries this round with him? Uh, to his wife that he presumably is very aware, aware of is... her phobia, yeah. Scared of the dark. Anyway, this is still a sweet this is still a sweet scene, I get what you mean, yeah. That, so it's, presumably if they've been married three years, they've, they've been, been dating, dating longer. If they've been dating for so three, he's dating, kind of just a dick if, to leave this <laughs> this many years into the relationship. If they'd been dating for three weeks, this would have been cute. <laughs> yeah. This feels really late to be like, hey, I've had the cure hey, to your I, phobia only, the whole only, time. Not only can I empty empathize with what you're feeling through personal experience. I also have the thing that's helped me most. <laughs> every every time prior to this relationship, he's just been the one flicking the lights in the wall. <laughs> this is like this is like finding out your your partner three years in is allergic to dogs and you've been carrying peritin in your back pocket. <laughs> I'm allergic to dogs too, don't you know? Oh dear. Sorry. I've so, been taking this magic medicine the whole time. <laughs> oh. Why'd you never tell me this earlier? I could have helped you. 
Right, listen, the kiss and the canoodle, and we cut to present. Shut up, all right? It's beautiful, and it's, it's wonderful, nice and it's really I like cute. And I like that his beard is apparently already growing back in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so they, 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 we cut to present day. Uh, we're in the police station. The local doctor, Doc Nelson, dressed in fishing gear, shines a torch in Alan's eyes, checking for a concussion. And this isn't Dr. Hartman. Dr. Hartman is this is the psych Different doctor guy. who's psych got doctor. his own thing. Right? He's got his own private clinic. Yeah. He's okay, a little businessman. Yeah. And he's doctor. definitely the baddie of the, of the game. Well, I, probably him to I don't know. Did you meet that barista earlier? No, but she's going to be a really fun boss fight when she happens. <laughs> <laughs> so she's probably going to stalk him through the woods. Doc. Offering him a latte. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Doc Nelson, right? And he's dressed in his fishing gear. This guy was just off for a fishing trip and he's been pulled back in just to help out. This is how small Bright Falls is. It's got one doctor and the guy had a day off today, right? So he's he's out doing his thing. But basically he checks for concussion. He's like, you seem fine. No signs of trauma. Take it easy for a couple of days. I'm going fishing, right? And he's, he's away. I came home for this shit. <laughs> Straight up. So Sheriff Breaker pulls Alan into her office and she's like, come in, here's your cell phone. We just finished charging it for you. It was dead. And Alan pulls it up to see a Verizon logo. Oh, boy. <laughs> the original game was sponsored by Verizon. It's, it's, was it really? It's great. There are so many games and films from this period with like Verizon or Cricket or all these brands that have absolutely no relevance to us in the UK. Yeah. Like, there's no market to sell that here. So I always just think it's really sticks. It, it's it's like the, the shot really lingers on it. Like he pulls it, <laughs> looks at it, he goes. Although I tell you what, see the, the James the James Bond movies that we did grow up with in this country. Mm always had the latest Sony merch. And I know every movie he has branding, but it was like literally he'd pull out the newest Sony phone and the camera would linger on it for a few seconds while he did something awesome on it. I don't think that I have ever seen a game sponsored by a phone company, so this is very weird to me. This is very new. Um, This was necessary. Uh, So they were halfway through development. They ran out of funding. They ran out of time. They couldn't put it on and uh, Verizon ended up uh, they reached out to and basically got the funding. That was uh, that was big of them to sponsor a game which showed their uh, phone running out of battery in the opening. Anyhow, Verizon. <gasps> yes, he did the thing. Oh, it's very God, effective, isn't it? It's like the power. I like this. It's like having so much power. So Alan is like, great, whatever. I don't care. Shut up. Thank you for charging my phone. But like, have you started looking for my wife yet? And Sarah is like, Sheriff Breaker. Sarah is like, yep. I've got men on it now, but what can you tell me about what happened? And Alan is like, I told you everything already. Cabin, etc. Now it's gone. I don't know what's going on. And Sarah's like, yeah, but your story involves a cabin that doesn't exist. So, sus. But suddenly they're interrupted by the ringing of Alan's phone. It's an unknown number. He hears Alan's voice. Alan, please help me. And then an unfamiliar voice. Stop talking to the law. You'll do exactly what I say if you want to see your wife again. Go to the parking lot out back. I've left something for you so you know I'm serious. After you've got it, meet me at Lover's Peak in Elderwood National Park. Midnight. It's Alice's head. So Alan heads out to the parking lot where he finds Alice's driver's license. Whoever this guy is, he's serious. The phone rings again. It's Barry Wheeler, his agent. Al, thank God. I've been trying to reach you for a week. I've been worried sick. I flew out yesterday. I'm here, here in Bright Falls. He's in Bright Falls. Barry's in Bright Falls. It's great. You're like a cartoon character from the 90s. It's this, honestly, you're teasing me. That is how Barry sounds. He sounds like a cartoon character. Um, so Alan is like a week. It has been a week since Alice went missing. Listen, Barry, I'm at the sheriff's station. Come and get me. And he hangs up. 
As he goes to re-enter the police station, another TV screen flashes up, showing Alan writing in the cabin. His voice crackles out over the speakers. A writer is a light that reveals the world of his story from darkness, shapes it from nothingness, the way a sculptor carves a statue. If I stop, the world I'm making dies. The darkness will reclaim it. Alice's life is at stake. I'll write the story. I'll save her. Entering the police reception, we see Dr. Emil Hartman. He's chatting to Sarah about the Anderson brothers. Apparently, they broke out of his clinic and went on, quote, a rampage. We saw part of that rampage when they were in the diner. They weren't on a rampage. I don't know. I feel like forcing the diner listeners to listen to Coconut over and over again, that's pretty rampagey. He is, he, he states that he is here to settle their damages, so we don't know what else they did that day, but... Did yeah. you not see their sick biker gang outfits? Yeah. They're probably some roughhousers. They killed a guy. Yeah. <laughs> they found one of, the, one of those dangled the- woods guns. <laughs> The forest guns. <laughs> they grow on trees around here. <laughs> so the police receptionist pipes up. He's like, I'm here to settle up with Tor and Odin, right? They're the Anderson brothers. They're up. Yeah. And police receptionist pipes up and is like, um, Tor and Odin never caused any trouble to anyone when they were still living at their farm. But Hartman straight up ignores her. She's bad-mouthing his groundbreaking therapy work. So he's just like, whatever. I, I, I don't get you. I don't know you. Alan walks up to Sarah. And it's like, am I under arrest for anything? And Sarah's like, no, of, of course not. And I was like, great, I am leaving. And then Hartman shoves his Wait, hand forward. Did, did, did she not see the corpse of Carl uh, way back in chapter one? No, it's way back in the woods. They've not found Carl yet. Okay. Carl just went missing. No one's happened? mentioned that Carl's missing. Yeah, nobody has mentioned yeah. that. It's Bright Falls. It's been a couple of days. It's big woods, big mountains. You know, everybody knows everybody, someone, sees everybody someone, presumably every day. But someone could not come into town for a couple of days in that kind of... I think so. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That, look, again, we, we see a lot of woods in, in this game. And all I would say is that it wouldn't be weird if someone went off for a bit. Sometimes I don't answer messages for a few days. Yeah. So, yeah, he's like, am I, am I arrested? And she's like, no. He's like, right, I'm off then. I'm done with all of this. It's not getting me anywhere. But Hartman steps in and puts, puts a, shoves his hand forward. And he's like... I'm Emil Hartman. If you're looking for somewhere to stay, come and stay at my clinic. I'll give you therapy. Straight up. And Alan's like, straight. So he's like, hey, I'm, I'm Emil. Like, shake, shake your hand. And Alan sticks a finger right in his face. Like, like basically pokes his eye out and goes, did you talk to my wife? Like, immediately just flies off the handle again. And Emil Hartman is like, I had the pleasure of discussing your situation with her on several occasions. Alan breaks his nose. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> He oh, just straight away, bam, Harmon hits the deck. Yeah, that's, I mean, this guy might be evil, but that is still not an appropriate response. Straight up just, I mean, like, decks him straight away. Doesn't even say anything. The sheriff turns out, she's like, well, you weren't under arrest yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. This is a violent assault. You, you know, <laughs> now. Well, she would. So Sheriff Breaker, Sarah, she grabs Alan to hold him back and tr- and he tries to go in for a second go. He's like, let me at him. I'm going to kill him. And just as it looks like he's about to be arrested. Da-da-da-da. Barry Wheeler finally makes his appearance, everybody. Hey. Oh. He walks in. Yeah, right? I don't know why. That wasn't at all how I expected him to look. Right? So, he, yeah, he's got a Hawaiian shirt on with a red puffy jacket, almost like he doesn't know what the climate is. <laughs> it's like, I'm prepared for both. He's also in shorts. It's worth me noting, he's also in cargo shorts. Um, 
But yeah, so so he's he's sorting himself out and he comes so Barry appears just as Sarah's grabbing Alan. And he says, Hey, if you have business with Mr. Wake, you talk to me. You yokels won't know what hit you once I sit my lawyers on your asses. Uh yeah, pretty much. Hey, yours is much better. But no, because it's not how he sounds. What he sounds like is, hey, nobody move! Get your heads <laughs> off my client! <laughs> Straight up! That's why he's watched the cutscenes. If you have business with Mr. Wake, you talk to me. Your yokels will know what hit you when my lawyers sick your ass. So yeah, so he's off and he's doing his thing. Once they sick and, your ass? Sorry, sick my lawyers on your asses. It doesn't matter, right? Ass. That's what he's doing. <laughs> so, yeah. And Sarah's like, who are you? And he goes, I'm Barry Wheeler. His agent. Like, like, proper big like this. And it's like, he floats. He kind of floats in all the cutscenes. It's great. It's amazing. So, Hartman, on the floor, picks himself back up. And he's like... It's all good, Sarah. No harm Classic done. Classic villain move. Yeah. Classic villain move. We're all friends here. No harm done. Now let excuse me while I go get my nose set. Yeah. <laughs> so and and Alan and Barry leave. So he leaves, and then Alan and Barry leave separately. Right? They're all off. So they get in their car, and Alan tells Barry everything. The lights going out, Alice in the water, his lack of memory, Stucky, the fact he was finding manuscript pages written by him, and Barry thinks he's lost his mind. He, he straight up thinks he's cracked. He's gone insane. Um, not as in, like, what you're saying sounds insane. He thinks he has, like, snapped and he should be in a clinic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but Barry also smells money and he wants to get that dollar. So he's like, hey, Alan might not remember oh, doing it. Yeah, he's like, he might not remember killing a guy, but, like, at least he's writing again. So that's good. Um, oh, hey, also... Are we hey, swings, like... swings and roundabouts. Mm. Are we meant to like Barry or not? Nah? It's up to you. I, think, I love I think, Barry. I think you're meant to find him maybe endearing while insufferable. Yeah, that's pre you've pretty much picked up on that, Neil. Yeah, 100%. Endearing while insufferable. Uh, Barry's greedy, but he's loyal to the end. Best way to describe him. Um, so, yeah, because he also does care about finding Alice. Look, they never saw eye to eye, but he also, like, wants to help her. So, they're off. So, the two of them head off to Elderwood Park to meet the kidnapper. Oh, First Barry's stop. so gonna die. Sorry, continue. First stop is to rent a cabin for the night from Rusty, the park ranger from the diner. But oh look, they also meet, da, 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 Rose, the waitress oh, from the diner. Hey. She's bringing Rusty his morning coffee. He couldn't make it to the diner this morning because he's helping a dog that got caught in a bear trap oh, last no. night. Oh no, oh no. Rose that's is like, dog. that's the dog in his cage. From from what, Neil, sorry? From, from the vision. From the, vi well, from the manuscript. Yeah, from the manuscript, sorry. So Rose is like, ooh, Mr. Wake, you're so handsome. Anyway, bye. And she leaves. Uh, and Alan is like, Christ, what an airhead. And Barry is like, wow. gee, yeah, yeah, straight in. And Barry's like, geez, Mr. Takes a swing at everybody. This isn't her fault. She's a very nice girl. And more importantly, she's a fan. She even has a fan site dedicated to you. I stopped by the diner before I picked you up. So it's all good stuff. <laughs> um, Alan gets the keys from Rusty, okay? Rusty is there. He's, he's, yeah. He's oh, pupper. no, yes. that's so, the pupper. Max, this is the dog Max. Uh, you learned that this is the dog Max. Uh, Rusty is helping Max. He got caught in a bear trap last night, so he's bandaging up his paw. Um, and he's, he's making sure he's all okay. Um, so Rusty owns some cabins. Basically, Alan is like, I need somewhere to stay if I'm going to stay in Bright Falls. I'm going to stay in one of Rusty's cabins. That's his plan. Rusty is in great spirits, even though he's helping Max out. I mean, he's, he's had his morning coffee. He's, he's like on cloud nine. He's having a grand old morning. Yes. Sorry, hand up. Um, have we had a scene yet where Alan goes to the police and says, can you goddamn comb the lake with some divers? Because I saw my wife go in there. Um, I saw the lake eat. He, he nom nommed my wife. He does tell them that Alice like was taken by the lake, and they don't do anything about it. 
Because they're like, well, that's weird. Because again, not not that she fell, in, that she was taken well, by it. Because bear in mind that it's it's a small mountain town, yeah. so like three cops total, and their his story is predicated on the fact that there is a cabin in the lake in the first place that simply doesn't exist. I know, but you'd still. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. No, now a third party and his lawyer has shown up going, yeah, his wife was with him and he says she's at the bottom of the lake. So let's maybe, yeah, mm-hmm. not great. So Al and Barry ride off to the cabin and wait until night. Barry is like, maybe rethink this. You know, go to the police, call the FBI. Don't make a freaking kidnapper in the woods at midnight, man. And Alan is like, no, I'm going out there. So Barry gives a big sigh. And he's like, fine. You're my best friend. Tell me what to do and help, and I'll do it. And Alan is like, just stay here, and if I'm not back by morning, call the cops, Barry. You're going to get in the way, sort of thing. Which is fair enough. Also, uh, he's sneezing. Barry's sneezing big time this entire t- this entire scene. He's like, my allergies. <laughs> like, the entire scene. He's having a bad I time got darkness way. right up my nose. Like, he, just, he does not like Bright Falls, Barry. He's not enjoying Bright Falls. So, off to the woods we go. The journey to Lover's Peak is hard. It takes time. A long time. And not much happens, to be honest, until we get there. Can he so. not borrow a car or something? No. Um, no, because it's, it's through the woods. It's like a path. And also, woods. presumably, he so. doesn't want the police to know that he's going to meet. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's going to meet the kidnapper. Yeah, right now he doesn't really care. But yeah, I, that's, I think that's sensible. So, so we, we work through the woods. We fight some shadow men, the usual. But if you stray off the beaten path, you find a couple of interesting things that I want you to note. Any right? manuscripts? Uh, no, manuscripts later. We do find manuscripts, but we'll talk about them later. So the first is these little TVs. So every time you find them, they will play an episode. You get one per episode uh, of the game. And every time you find them, they'll play an episode of a show called Night Springs, which is a live-action, black-and-white, five-minute episode that is like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, like classic Twilight the Zone. The name sounds like a, a Twin Peaks, but the, the, the writing, the actual font mm. on Night Springs looks a lot Twilight Zone. They're, 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 like it's, it's some of them are there's this kind of silly little horror vignettes that you can watch. Uh, they're quite cute. For example, you got a mad scientist that does an experiment, or a witch that seduces a man and he mm. gives birth to a monster. They're, they're cool. They're, they're fun. They're, they're they're five minutes long. They're cute cute little stories. Um, Do they actually mean anything, or are they just fun? Uh, Night Springs, the concept uh, will return, is what I will say. Okay. Uh, a few times actually. Don't. What's the name of our town? Uh, Bright Falls. Bright Falls and Night Springs. Mm. Lightness lightness goes and dark. Uh, I've had a drink. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing we find is these. uh, Yellow luminescent paint. Graffiti of a candle or messages written on trees saying things like lost in the dark or old gods know the truth or... Old gods? Old gods know the truth. That is a message. Like Thor and Odin. Sure. So yeah, so, so weird messages written in graffiti throughout the woods. Who wrote these? Hmm. Uh, they often lead to crates from the Bright Falls Electric Company that have resources in them like ammo and all that sort of stuff. Okay. So Alan's journey to Lover's Peak eventually takes him to Rusty's office. Oh. oh. The place is trashed. Rusty is covered in blood. Mr. Wake, he says. It happened just the way it was on that page. I found it came true so dark. Alan goes to try and call for help. The line is dead. And when he gets back to Rusty, he's been taken. Cue Rusty boss fight. Just like with Carl Stuckey, he's spouting off everyday phrases while you gun him down. He's like, don't feed the animals. And there are more than 40 species of deer, 10 of which are here in Bright Falls. You know, it's all that sort of stuff. They're they're two quotes I've taken. Um, Did you know that? There are more than 40 species of deer. 10 of which are in Bright Falls. Yeah. 
Well, maybe not in Bright Falls, but 40 species of deer, I don't know. That's quite interesting. So, we get to Lover's Peak. And there's one in this room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we get to Lover's Peak, but to reach it, Al needs to travel by cable car over a long drop. Climbing in, the brakes break. It still gets him over the drop, but it crashes and he falls out, dropping his torch and his revolver. Oh no! A Taken appears and tries to kill him, but before he can, a flare lights it up like a birthday candle. The Taken do not like flares. We see a hand pick up Alan's revolver and shoot the Taken twice in the head before reaching down and helping Alan to his feet. It's Rose! That flashlight's kid's stuff, the stranger says. Flares will keep the bastards away. Alan is like, yo, give me my gun back. But the stranger's like, pfft, nope. Alan questions why. And the stranger just laughs. <laughs> because that's how the story goes. Immediately, Alan clocks that this has to be the kidnapper. Has to be. Recognizes the voice, recognizes everything. It's the kidnapper. So, the two of you work together to reach Lover's Peak, fighting off Taken together. You've got to burn them with your torch and rely on him to shoot the Taken, but he's a really shit shot, which is annoying as hell, but pretty good game design to make us hate him, so it's all fine. Uh, but clearing out the Taken, Alan eventually is like, right, cut the act, where's my wife? And the kidnapper laughs again. I knew you were gonna say that. I read it all before. You're a hell of a writer. Congratulations. You're gonna bring about something glorious and terrible once we get you some... proper editorial control. I want the whole manuscript or Alice will suffer. Bad. You have two days. When time's up, meet me at the Bright Falls coal mine. Alan doesn't hesitate. He clocks the kidnapper right in the face again, just swinging his fist. This guy's first move, yeah. yeah. Straight away. Uh, so hard that the two of them crash to the fence and fall down the hillside. When Alan awakes, uh, the kidnapper is gone. Uh, so he hears a girl's shriek half a mile away and rushes back to the cabin to find Barry. He's holed up in the cabin and is like, Al, it's all got a little bit Hitchcock in here. The and the, the birds, the birds are attacking, the birds are attacking. And so you fight a flock of shadow ravens to save him. Hooray. Uh, Wait, the, 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 the birds have been taken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Goodness. So Barry is like, Al, I'm sorry for thinking you were having a psychotic episode, man. You're not crazy. I will never doubt you again. 24 hours pass. Alan sends Barry into town to try and see what he can learn about the kidnapper. See if anyone in town matches his description. While he's away, Alan tries to write the manuscript. He scribbles it down for the kidnapper so he's got something to bring to the coal mine, but the writer's block takes hold again. He comes up short. He can't write anything. We cut to Barry. His phone rings. It's Rose. I've found Mr. Wake's pages, she says. Could you and Mr. Wake come get them? Barry's like, oh my god, you're amazing. You're a miracle. We'll be there soon. And pages? Pages. She says she's found the manuscript. Ooh. We cut to Rose. The phone is still pressed to her ear. The lights are off. Have a great day. Hope you come back soon. Welcome to the oh dear diner. We pan around. And we see the old pale woman, dressed from head to toe in black, standing behind her. Good girl, she says. And we roll credits on episode two. Oh, nice. You want a couple of manuscript pages? Yeah! Nothing I'd like more. Except for me. <laughs> so, I like you very much too. Uh, page number one. In that last instant of consciousness, 
Rusty thought about Rose. He was older than she was. Rose was barely out of her teens, but she made him feel young and forget what a train wreck his long dead marriage had been. He still wore the ring. He'd been waiting for her to tell him to take it off. Oh, Rusty! Now she never would. Good! Good for us. No, no, for, like, okay. I, I, I worry that maybe your reaction to that was a little bit wrong because that is just a dying man having a moment of regret, and he never acted upon. He that. never got to fuck that teenage girl. No, not teenager. In her twenties. Okay, sorry. Right. She, he fancied the waitress, had a crush on her, and he was sad that he never told her that. Sorry, he in my head, Rusty's fifty and she's nineteen. No, 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 no. Barely out of her teens. Okay. So twenties. But it doesn't matter. Look, I'm not going to... I just thought that was a, a nice little interesting nod that yeah. in Rusty's final moments, he thought of Rose. So how do the manuscript pages know not only what's going to happen, but people's internal monologues? Ooh. Hmm. Very interesting. And I'd like you to cling to that because I don't have answers. <laughs> but we will talk about that. I'm going to um, cling to it like a sloth. Page number two. Sheriff Sarah Breaker didn't care about the legal threats Wake's agent had made. She let go without argument because there was something about him she couldn't quite put her finger on. Something that reminded her of her father. She didn't think Wake would hurt his wife. Then she thought about the way he waded into Hartman. That hair-trigger rage flaring up without warning. And page number three. Agent Nightingale didn't want to be in Bright Falls. These little communities revolted him. He now knew that impossible horrors lurked behind the storefronts and smiles. He desperately wanted to turn the car around and just drive until he ran out of road or booze. But he had a job to do. He had a writer to catch at any cost. Mm-hmm. At part three, I've called Agent Nightingale. So... Alan and Barry head over to the trailer park where Rose stays to pick up the manuscript. Alan gets a call on his phone from Sheriff Breaker, Sarah Breaker. She's like, uh, listen, we have an FBI agent here, Agent Nightingale. He wants to talk to you. Can you come to the station? Al is like, sure, give me an hour. And our two bros head over to Rose's trailer. He seems very not bothered by the fact there's an FBI agent there wanting well, to talk to him. If anything, he's excited about it. He's like, great, they're taking my case seriously. Oh, yeah. oh, did, did did Barry raise this to the FBI? We don't know. We just know that Agent Nightingale, the guy we heard about in the manuscript page. And, and then the manuscript page, he was like, I'm coming for the writer. Yeah, so he sounds like he's got a bit of vendetta for Alan, according to that manuscript page, but we'll find out more shortly. So as they do, Barry, so as they, they're heading over to Rose's trailer, and as they do, Barry takes the opportunity to tell us all of the weird stuff he's learned while exploring the town. He's been out in the libraries, looking up old records, all that stuff. So he says, This place is crazy, Barry says. Disappearances, mysterious deaths, urban legends come true, and get this, most of the stuff takes place around Cauldron Lake. There was an island there, owned by a guy called Thomas Zane. Now, some of the articles I found named him as a famous writer, but I ran it through Google and nothing came up. Zane was heavily into diving, so much so that the place ended up being called Diver's Isle. But the hope the volcano under the lake erupted in 1970 and Zane went down with the island. Anyway, enough of all that. Back to Rose. So when they arrive at her trailer, Rose is still off, like really weirdly off. She's speaking in monotone, all of the lights are off. It's weird, yeah. She makes Alan and Barry some tea. 
Alan's like, great, yep, tea's delicious, thanks, where's the manuscript? Rose is like, I know what you need, a muse to inspire you. And I was like, what? And that's when the tea kicks in. He and Barry hit the deck. Oh, oh. no. As Alan passes out, he sees the beam of light from his dream way back at the start of the game. The light is like, listen, it's coming. It's, it's been her the whole time. It's it, Rose. It's coming. It's hiding in my Barbara's skin. I'm too weak to stop it. You must turn the lights on. He sees the old woman. She leers at him and she says, back to work, boy. And then he wakes up in a, in a daze. Okay, I've got theory for who the light is, but I'll save that. I'll park that. I th- I, I, I won't. I think that the light is the writer. Zane, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay, what makes you say that? That's addressing. Well, My Barbara, voice. the only yeah. b- person I can assume is Barbara is the old widower. Yeah, what what other person is there that we haven't met that's, like, significant Solid. enough to... Yeah, you're paying attention, and that's good. Did we solve the entire game? No, you did not. I got a feeling we didn't. I think we did. And then Alan wakes up in a bedroom. <laughs> oh, is that Rose's bedroom? Oh, no. Why Rose's is, bedroom. Why does she have a mobile? So Rose, Rose's bedroom, uh, listeners, is, uh, is, is a sort of quite normal bedroom other than the fact that there is a mobile above the bed. What do we call that in the UK? Uh, mobile's fair. Yeah, um, mobile. And there are cut-out pictures of Alan above her bed. Five cut-out pictures and a copy of his book behind her bedpost. It looks like a teenage girl's room who's really into, like, K-pop or One Direction and has, like, all the pictures of their favourite all yep. over the room and, like, everything is very pink. Yeah. I really like the art direction on how those pictures are done. Like, they really do look like real-world pictures cut out of magazines or... They are Are those just pictures. Are those just photographs of the guy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they are photographs of the actor who does the mocap for Alan Wake uh, in real life. I thought that was just their person. No, you're going to see the real life actor and you will see them. But no, that's yeah, the re- the real life actor who who Alan Wake was based off. It's just pictures of them that they've taken pictures of and stuck oh. into the game. <laughs> um they, they do that a lot. They play with the for oh, example, Chase the, the the Night Springs episodes I told you about earlier, the little yeah. TVs, they're in live action. Okay. You have a lot of live action moments across. So they're playing around with the form. They are, yeah. So um, so he wakes up, yeah, in, in Rose's bedroom, there's a weird shrine to him on the wall. He kind of looks at it and he's like, not ha- not not even going to deal with that right now. Got bigger, bigger fish to fry. Uh, so it's nighttime now. He finds that Barry is still passed out in the kitchen. Rose is on the floor, hugging her knees and catatonic. He is surrounded by pictures of himself with the shrine. Um, and Rose's TV suddenly kicks on. And once again, he sees himself in the cabin over the typewriter. It seems I have an imaginary editor to help me, the man in the TV says. She's an old woman in a funeral dress. Her name is Barbara Jagger. She's really strict. I'm writing faster and faster and she's making huge edits. Every day there's less of me in the pages and more of her. I hate it, but I know she's right. She's worked with another writer under similar circumstances, Thomas Zane. The genre of this story seems to be shifting. It's turning into a horror story. Rose took a day from him. Tonight is the night he meets the kidnapper at the coal mine. So he sets off, but he is rudely interrupted by Agent Nightingale. 
Nightingale is off his rocker. He immediately points his gun at Alan as he steps out of the trailer and is like, Hands up, Hemingway! Don't move a muscle! I'll unload this gun right in your goddamn face! I love killing people, me! Stay right where you are, Spillane! Nightingale has a tendency to call Alan by the names what? of other don't, famous don't writers. Don't use two writers in one sentence. Well, that's, that's over the top. No, that's just... Why is his gun hot pink? Uh, it's just the, the lighting. lighting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that's what happens. Um, so Nightingale's, like, having a bad time of it. He's clearly just wanted to shoot Alan in the head. Just to stop. You know what's really sad? They absolutely sell hot pink guns that are marketed towards younger girls. Yay! In the U.S. Oh, All the way up to, like, shotguns and rifles that you can get at Walmart or Outdoor World. You really sell your country to me whenever you come here. You know that? You, 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 should, you should work for the tourist board. You want to come visit? <laughs> Alan has absolutely no time for Nightingale. Um, he's got a date with a kidnapper, so he punches him. <laughs> <laughs> Alan has a date with a kidnapper, so he makes a dash for it, diving out to the trailer park, throwing himself down a nearby hill, and is lost in the woods once again. And as he does, Nightingale opens fire. Straight up tries to shoot Alan in the head, and he Alan curiosity, what does he think that Alan has done? Killed his wife, presumably. You'll find out. Um, but f- mm. you'll you'll for now, he's just hates Alan, wants to kill him, thinks he's doing the world a, sur- a, a just a service by doing so. And as he shoots him, he nearly hits one of the other residents of the trailer park. Oh, God. So you he, yeah, like it flies past their face, and they look at him and go, You almost hit me, you goddamn maniac. You hear that in the background as you're like running through the woods. So he's also an ass. <laughs> Asshole. Yeah, ever nobody likes Nightingale. Uh, he's he's a he's a rogue agent off on his own. Um, so as we're so yeah, Alan is in the woods, but it's not just the Taken hunting for him tonight. It's now the cops as well. So as Alan rushes, because Nightingale is reading, leading the force against him. So as Alan rushes through bushes and trees and darkness, we see the cops warped by the darkness eaten by it. We hear their screams, we see their crashed cars, abandoned weapons, and we also see a huge pillar of darkness. Abandoned weapons are good. Yes. So do we see the process of them being taken? What we see is a black tornado in the distance tearing along the mountainside, and we see it rush through them, and it really is like that. Yes. What are you thinking, Chase? I'm thinking that a big key would really help with this. (laughs) (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So the tornado, what we, particularly what he sees, is this black tornado in the distance. It tears through the mountainside. It shreds up a couple of police helicopters, unfortunate enough to get in its way. And Alan notes that it's screaming. The tornado is, it sounds like it's screaming. Alan has no idea where he is. He doesn't know where the coal mine is. He doesn't know where he is in the woods. But he does see a radio antenna over the, over the ridge and remembers Pat Main, the old radio DJ he met on the barge way back at the start that wanted to do the interview with him. I hope Pat tells him to fuck off. If you let me hide, girl, give me your interview. <laughs> so maybe he'd help. Maybe he'd give him a car, point him in the right direction. So he heads up for the radio shack on the hill. And when he arrives... Uh, Pat is like, oh my god, you're here for an interview. Do you want to hear about Deerfest, folks? The <laughs> Straight up. He's like, he's so excited. It's gonna break my heart when Pat's the big bad of this game. <laughs> and then he's straight up, he's like, oh, and I was like, I need your help. The cops are after me. Just be cool. And Pat turns into his microphone, so excited. He's like, folks, you'll never guess what just happened. The famous writer Alan Wake is right here. <laughs> 
in my office right now. Here's my address in case any police officers are listening. Isn't this the best night ever? Um, so, yeah, and like a shot, Nightingale and the cops arrive outside. Uh, so it doesn't help the the your your dislike of Nightingale that they've designed his face. Mm. Apologies to the actor, because uh, I know this is mo-capped. They've designed his face to look like your least favorite maths teacher. Hundred percent. That is a great way to describe Nightingale. Your least favorite maths teacher. So he appears. He points his gun again. I'm quoting from the game here. He points his gun through the window. Right. So from where he is, he can see Pat Main and Alan's like silhouettes through the window. Oh my and he points the gun at it, and he just starts yelling, and he's like, Nowhere to run now, Dan Brown! <laughs> he starts waving his what? gun around. Why, why, you've gone for sort of, you've gone for sort of, uh, whatever you think of Hemingway, a sort of writer of American classics, mm. to one of the worst reviewed popular authors ever. What, what's the theme here? Is it just any... Oh, Dan Brown. Okay, we'll talk about this afterwards. Um... Yeah, I quite like I quite like Dan Brown too. I find it quite entertaining. <laughs> yes, you think you're alone. The man writes like a six-year-old. It's very, very the accessible. Man walked into the bright yeah. red room. It's all like it doesn't have to be good to be popular. Look at J.K. No. Rowling. Sorry, what? Um, anyway, oh! I think I'm the majority of our audience are pretty on board with that, so it's fine. Anyway, so Nightingale calls him Dan Brown. He's waving his gun around and he's like, "I'm gonna shim. I'm gonna do it. I hate Alan Wake." for reasons unknown. And then Sheriff Breaker steps up behind him and is like, all right, cool your jets. Jesus Christ, we got him. But Nightingale just straight up fires into the radio shack. He just misses wow. Pat Main. Yeah, he shoots, he shoots into the, yeah, shoots, shoots into the radio shack. The bullet whizzes past Pat Main's head, doesn't hit anybody. And Pat Main drops to the crowd, raises his hands in the air and goes, Judas Priest. <laughs> <laughs> And in the confusion, Alan makes his escape out the back. And as he runs, we hear Nightingale in the night yelling, I'll get you even if it kills me. You hear me? HP Lovecraft. What? <laughs> <laughs> He's the best character. I love him. Uh, so, Pat Main was a bust, right? Well, a waste of time. Total setback. Uh, which is probably why this episode is so bloody long. So, Alan, I'm cutting out chunks of this because the majority of it is just Alan goes through the woods, okay? <laughs> Alan, Alan tracks through mountainsides, an old mine, an abandoned ghost town under a bridge near a ravine. Uh, the darkness starts to possess inanimate objects and starts throwing them at him. And he's like, gosh, this is just like a Stephen King novel. <laughs> I love Stephen King, but I hate this. So, the dark can pick up objects and throw it at him, but they can't just reach out and grab him from behind. No, it can only possess things. So why can't it possess him? Uh, because it needs him. Oh, why is it trying to throw shit at him? To hurt him. Seems like you're hindering him if you need him. <laughs> I guess the plan is to knock him out. I don't know, right? It doesn't matter, right? So there's an enemy to fight. What I will tell you is, and very fun fact about this, so the possession concept... Uh, so it is literally inanimate objects will shriek at you and then just like launch themselves at you. And the reason why they did that is because during QA testing, after they completed the game, they went back to it and saw that certain objects had this weird jitter that they could not get out of it. Oh. They were like, there's something wrong with these these objects. We programmed them wrong. So they decided just to stick a bit of smoke around them and make do a shrieking sound and have them be an enemy and wow. just program to like move towards Alan. So whenever I you touch them, you get that. hurt. Isn't that great? So there's this poltergeist concept just came out of there's bits of the game that I'm sure that a lot of the audience <laughs> I'm sure that a lot of the audience have watched or listened to um, Game, Game Maker's Toolkit. Mm. 
and the kind of video was about the workarounds that devs have to go through to make stuff good or stuff comes out mm. of glitches or yeah it's fascinating I, I just Always. think that's that's fantastic right yeah. you, you got something that's wrong with your game and you're trying to fix it you figure out you can't fix it and you decide just to make it an enemy yeah. <laughs> like it's great so anyway so so he keeps going keeps going keeps going and eventually makes it to the mine he makes it to not the mine uh, to the rendezvous point with the kidnapper which is at the mine right at the uh, it's like the top of the mine it's like a shack on top okay. of the mine outside so he gets there and the sun rises and he waits and he waits and the bastard doesn't show oh i mean i wonder why he punched him in the face last time no okay but bear in mind that we met we met the kidnapper yeah and punched him in the face Oh, no, he did punch him in the face. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So instead, the kidnapper... It's Alan Wake. Of course he punched him in the face. (laughs) It's his default move. I'm so glad you guys are clinging to the Alan Wake is a dick thing. Because (laughs) totally fair. Um, So, yes, absolutely. So instead, the kidnapper doesn't show. Instead, he calls him. So he calls and he's like, change of plans. You know where Mirror Peak is? It's the big mountain north of where you are. There's a lookout point there. Meet me. He hangs up. That's so annoying. It truly seems like the kidnapper has a car mm. and is kind of just being like, I can move very easily, yeah. but for what you. Is what is this? Go to this place. No change of plans. We're going, that's so annoying. Yeah. 100%. Uh, also want to flag Mirror Peak, Twin Peaks. Uh, They're yeah. mirroring Twin Peaks. No, yeah. Is yeah. that fun? Um, it's just a little nod. It's just very cute. So he hangs up. So again, we're back on the trail, right? So we're off and trucking through. Uh, we find some Night Springs episodes, etc. Uh, and he finds a couple of noteworthy things. The first is another TV showing him writing in the cabin. And he says, the man on the TV says, Anything outside of writing is a struggle. I feel ill. There's a shoebox here filled with books and papers by Thomas Zane. It's getting harder to focus. I managed to read some of it. He's a poet and a good one. He writes about muses and creators summoning fabulous things from a magic lake, using its power to shape the world, dark things waiting for a chance to slip through. He writes about his life, his girlfriend being taken over by a dark presence, about growing scared of the lake. Zane believed... It's a mirror to the gaping void of darkness above. I'll borrow these things from my story. They ring true. They fit. The second is an old abandoned house. In the basement, the yellow graffiti appears again, and this time it's saying a lot more than just hints at ammunition or collectibles. Oh. There's a, there's writing on the wall, uh, listeners, that says, I curse you, Thomas Zane. What I will flag as well is that not in this picture um, is a not, there's a quite a bit of graffiti along those lines. I curse you, Thomas Thomas Saint. I hate you, Tom. And one of them has a big heart, which has a TZ. So inside the heart is TZ plus CW. And I'll leave it at that, and we'll move on from it. But you find this Carl Walker. Who's Carl Walker? Oh, is that not his last name? It's not a character we've met. <laughs> Wait, what, was, what was Carl's last name? Stucky. Carl Stucky, please, to meet you. I mean, the, the biggest I'm thinking is the CW Baltimore, which is famous for its absolutely god-awful shows. You're right, the CW Baltimore just hates Thomas Zane. His plays did not perform well there. You're not wrong. So let's move on. Uh, you'll find out who that is. So just before Alan reaches the mountaintop, he gets a text from the kidnapper. 
It's filling spelling errors. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like he's ta- typed it haphazardly on like his phone. Almost like he's taken. Or like he's, he's pocket dialed. You know, it could be anything. So um, he, so yeah, he's like, oh, that's, that's weird. Okay. So he tries to call him um, and no, no reply. And Alan doesn't reply. And he's like, he leaves Bye. a voicemail. Hi, um, Alan here. Sorry I missed you. Um. But as he gets closer and closer to the rendezvous point once more, he hears a scream. The kidnappers scream. I'm sorry, lady, please. The boss didn't know who he was mess- messing with. I didn't know. I swear, I didn't know. He sobs. Like, like it is it's quite harrowing to listen to. This guy's not a likable character, but it's, it's pretty difficult to listen to him scream like this. We don't have his wife. We don't know where she is. We, she probably drowned. We didn't care. We just wanted the manuscript. Oh. When Alan reaches him, the kidnapper is a wreck, shivering on his knees. The old woman in the funeral dress, Barbara Jagger, flickers in front of him for a split second. And then the dark tornado whooshes up from the river below. It grabs the kidnapper, breaking every bone in his body. Sickening crunches and snaps echo out as Alan is knocked back off the deck and into the water below. Well, As he lies there, he thinks of Alice, of the cabin, of writing, of a diver's suit of a bright light shining from its mask. And then a hand plunges into the water and pulls him out. There's Thomas Zane. And that is the end of episode three. It's our homeboy. You want some manuscript pages? I've got four this time. I would love some. Page one. For decades, the darkness that wore Barbara Jagger's skin slept fitfully in the dark place that was its home and its prison. It was hungry and in pain. It dreamed of its nights of glory, when the poet's writing had called it from the depths and given it a brief, terrible taste of power and freedom. The rock stars had stirred it from the deep sleep the poet had sunk it back into in the end. When it sensed the writer on the ferry, it opened its eyes. So the darkness almost like needs a story, or needs... needs a writer to be brought forth. Number two. I slammed the door shut right in his smug face. He pleaded for me to open the door. I had no sympathy left, no guilt either. I took a moment to savour the screen. I bet I had a smile on my face. It was all I had time for. Don't know who that is, but they're a dick. Bear in mind, these, these, it's Alan. They're all written by Alan. Um, well, sorry, could wait. be from the perspective of other people, but they're all written by Alan. Uh, yeah, anytime he talks about I, sorry, I should point out, Alan does acknowledge that. It's like whenever he's talking about I, Alan's like, this sounds like me. Sounds like me. Um, so any eyes is probably an Alan. Oh, so so he reads, I shut the door on his face and smile. He's like, oh, that sounds like me. Straight up, yeah. So that sounds like something I would so do. So who's yeah. he going to do that to? So um, he's it's just solidifying our thoughts that he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Number three. Touched by the dark presence, Rose was lost in a dreamland where everything was drawn in black and grey crayons. The old lady had promised her that all her wishes would come true. She would be Alan Wake's muse. She was smiling so hard it hurt her face. She crushed a bottle of sleeping pills into the tea. Deep down inside, she was screaming in terror. Oh, gosh. Number four, and the final one. Not very nice. Number four, one of my favourites. Why are you smiling? I just really like this Don't like that smile. 
Lightning flashed behind the windows of Cauldron Lake Lodge. Tor Anderson laughed and held the steel hammer above his head. Nurse Sinclair was trying to calm him down without much success. Tor grinned madly and shouted, My hammer's up! Here's a friendly poke from Mjolnir, wench! He brought the hammer down with all of his might on Sinclair's head. We're on a comeback tour, baby! And that's number four. Wow. And what was the name of the person he just beat up? Nurse Sinclair. Shit. That's so that's presumably hammer. that's presumably at um, uh, Harper's facility. Part four. The Truth. And this is also episode four, also called The Truth. Why did these have separate names? Uh, because I named things sil- some silly stuff like, woo, my- Nightingale's fun, isn't he? Or whatever, and then the episodes are actually... I should just call them the episodes. It doesn't matter. Look, this is the truth. So, are you ready for some answers? Yes, please. Okay, you ready? I'm not ready for the truth. Well, I can't handle the truth. <laughs> Alan Wake awakens. Uh, oh! Alan Wakes. Alan Wake wakes in Cauldron Lake Lodge. Dr. Hartman's rehab for artists. Oh, no, are we getting a none of that really happened? You were just imagining it all. There you go, Hartman smiles. We had to give you a sedative. You went through another rough period. Right now, it's very important that you stay calm. We don't want you to have another episode. You're a patient in my clinic, have been for a while. The shock of your wife's death triggered a mental illness. He shifts in and out of looking like Alice. The whole time, Alan is muttering that he's going to kill him. You're suffering from various symptoms of undifferentiated schizophrenia. It's okay, Alan. Just let go. We cut to black. A day or so passes, and Alan awakens again, still in Hartman's clinic. Hartman comes in, and is like, Good evening, Alan. Are we feeling better? Feeling calm? I understand you're confused. I would be more concerned if you weren't suspicious of me. I don't blame you for it. Remember, this is a center for artists. Is this how he talks? Is yes. he, is he yes. this shifty? It is like it is like that. I'm I'm doing as best I can. Well, you, you know he's evil because he's doing the uh, none of what's happened actually happened. You were just having a mental break thing, which I, like I normally find exhausting. Well, the episode's called fiction. The Truth, so yeah. this might be it. I like but, how he has the, the you broke my nose bandage. Absolutely, yes. That is because Alan broke his nose. He has a bandage over his nose. Um, so yeah, no, but that's straight up how he talks. He talks like a, like, like your arch... It's less about him sounding shifty and more about him talking like your archetypal therapist. Like that that smooth... The way that therapists, aren't, uh, therapists on... aren't allowed to be anything other than suspicious and creepy and smooth in media. No, but it's, well, yes, yeah. It's, imagine your stereotypical creepy therapist. Like, that's how he sounds, and it's how he's always sounded. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> so yeah, he's like, oh, um, I'd be more concerned if you weren't suspicious of me. I don't blame you for it. Remember, this is a center for artists. Hyperactive imaginations are my specialty. He invites Alan for a walk to reacquaint himself with the clinic. Alan reluctantly follows. Harmon's tour doesn't tell us much. He talks about fishing trips and art therapies. It's more the stuff we see that's interesting here. For example, in Alan's room is a typewriter with stacks of paper next to it. Another one of the patient's rooms show he was working on a video game. A video game called Night Springs. Another For patient. the Xbox 360. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, he was one of the patients has been b- making a video game called Night Springs, and they got it branded and packaged in mm. in Microsoft like artwork and everything. Another patient has painted shadowy monsters. 
A photograph on the wall shows various orderlies, one of which looks suspiciously like the kidnapper. You know what this sounds like? Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose mild spoiler for those who haven't seen Moon Knight. This sounds like Moon Knight. Well, this was what I this was what I was getting at, and there's even a community episode like parodying this kind of episode of TV that you get every so often, which is like the, is it even real? What's happening to you? Or has it? But what I really liked about Moon Knight is it it only kept that going for like two episodes or one episode before it was like, yeah, no, no, that is really it really happened. I think you might like where this is going. Okay, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I so. like nothing. <laughs> I'm a font of hatred. Are you okay, buddy? Are you doing okay? It's not from Japan. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a JRPG. It's Th- there Finland. are no smooth... Everyone has beards. There's no, there's no smooth-faced yeah, teenage uh, boys. It, yes, Remedy is a Finnish studio in Finland. Oh. All these games are made... They are, stop it. They are not finished. They've got loads more to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's true. So, anyway, so, so yeah. So, it's like, oh, this is weird. Like, Night Springs video game? Like, does that have something to do with the TV show I found? And... Alan works his way through it with Hartman. He goes on the tour, and Hartman is like, it's an artist's paradise. I think you'll agree. Lots to inspire you, hmm? And that story you've been working on has really come along. Now, Alan, from past experience with you, I know you need to get right to the heart of the matter. So, just like every time you have one of your episodes, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Your wife, Alice, is dead. And Alan is like, no. Nah. Straight up, like, it's not even like a denial. It's like, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with you. No, she's not dead. I'm done. Can we move up, move past the Hartman bit of this game sort of style of talking? And Hartman continues. Alice drowned. You can't face it. You're suffering hallucinations. She didn't drown. The lake nommed her. Sorry. God. The lake ate her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bro, bro, your wife got full on nommed. <laughs> Paranoid delusions that everything revolves around you. Your mind has constructed an elaborate fantasy scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they're timed so well. That's part of the dialogue. Your mind has constructed an elaborate fantasy scenario in which your writings are affecting reality. She has been kidnapped and supernatural forces are trying to stop you. It's all in your head. You've been making it up. Your subconscious mind trying to keep you from all too painful truth. Unless you fight the fantasy, it will return. Know this. Everything can be explained logically. We've discussed this before. The tour ends. And we once again meet... The Anderson Brothers. Frontmen from the band... (laughs) (laughs) For context, uh, uh, we've got a a picture here of Tor... And Odin and Tor is holding a little sort of rubber child's mallet. And it's like green Green handle with yellow accents, pink hammer. Yeah. That's amazing. So uh, we meet them and uh, we learn that they were actually the front men from the rock band The Old Gods of Asgard. Our visit, yeah, so our fantastic Viking lads from the beginning of the game, from the diner, this is where they... they And we had the line about the old gods know the truth. That band name is too long. Mm. They should have just called themselves old Old gods. Gods. Agreed. Or just Asgard. Yeah. Either one. But they're, so they're, they're in the clinic. They're back in the, back in the clinic. Remember at the start, we learned that they'd escaped from the clinic for a day on, on the rampage. They've made it back. Um, so they're, they're here. And Making they're everybody chilling. listen to Coconut. Yeah, straight up. 
<laughs> so they're they're here. They're chilling. Uh, they're having a lazy afternoon. They're playing a Night Springs board game. Um, so Hartman leaves Alan with them to cheer him up. Basically, she's like, I see this is a bad dead time. dead wife tough time yeah. board game. Go, yeah, go, go with yeah. go with the old rockers. Yeah. It'll work. So as he leaves. Tor smacks the table with a squeaky rubber hammer and grumbles, I'd like to bash his head in with a hammer. Odin looks at Alan and is like, Ah, Tom, sit with us. Hartman doesn't get it. He doesn't know our secrets because he's not crazy. Crazy like us, Tom. Who else can understand the world when it's like this? And Alan is like, that is the sanest thing I've heard in a while. Tom. The, the poet. Thomas Zane. Yeah. Tor bonks Alan with his little hammer <laughs> on the head. He goes, like that. And is like, that's right, Zane. You know what? You're all right, Tom. Hey, we like him, don't we, bro? He's got to go to our farm. Go to our farm. We wrote it all down. All of our secrets. Go to our farm. Go to, go to our, go to our farm. Go to, go to our, go to our farm. That's the next part of the game. Go. I, I, I don't think we should go to the farm. No. Go to the that farm. seems like a bad idea. Alan punches them both. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I'll go to the farm, but not because you told me to. God. God. <laughs> That's a very Halloween thing to do. I'm not going to you or anything. <laughs> so he's, but he's straight up. He's like, go to our farm. We wrote it all down. All of our secrets. Like how that old crone stole my storm and Odin's ravens. A crash course. All you need to know to get your head right. The you ravens. See. I didn't ever put that together. I didn't even clock that, yeah. I just thought that, you know, it was Hitchcock. Well, I mean, we didn't know they were ravens. We just knew they were birds. That's true. I would like to momentarily flash your book back, both back to a bit of one of the manuscript pages we had, which was uh, the first one, I think, about the darkness. So for da- darkness, the darkness wore uh, Barbara Jagger's skin, it slept, um, and it says, quote, um, It dreamed of its nights of glory when the poet's writing had called it from the depths and given it a brief, terrible taste of power and freedom. The rock stars had stirred it from the deep sleep the poet had sunk it back into in the end. Oh... So, like, Zane had originally awoken in the darkness, then he went back to sleep when Zane died. Now, then the Rockers brought it back. Or Zane put it back to sleep. Either one. Then the, the Rockers briefly brought it back, and now Alan is doing it a third time. So, basically, and got Alan the shouldn't have come here. Farm. He screwed everybody over by coming here. Good job, Alan. Good job, Stephen King. Well, see, can we even say Stephen King? Because he's not hes not like a standard well, Stephen King. Stephen King exists in this universe. Uh, so, as they're ranting and being like, go to our farm, right, the lights go out. Classic. So and he gets the clicker. No, because he doesn't have the doesn't have the clicker on him. Uh, that's back home in New York. So panic. Alan decides to try and make his escape in the chaos. TVs, sofas, vases—they rumble with the darkness. It seeps all around the room. The patients lose it. The nurses don't know what to do. We hear a wet thud in the next room and Tor's voice. We're on a comeback tour, baby. Oh wow! As that yeah, as Alan tries to escape, he finds oh, Barry. Oh, so it's okay because she just he just hit the nurse with a play hammer, a, a squeaky hammer, squeaky hammer. So as Alan tries to escape, that cutout's finds, terrifying. Yeah, he finds Barry and the Alan Wake cutout from the diner at the start of the game. Barry is like, my hero, about time I got arrested. Then Hartman got me out and locked me in here. God knows why. Alan is like, Barry, God, am I glad to see you? What is with the cutout? And Barry is like, I stole it from the diner to piss off Rose. That I'll teach her for drugging us. (laughs) Got your priorities really in check here, man. (laughs) So Alan and Barry high five. Everyone's friends again. Hooray. Uh, They break into Hartman's office where Alan finds Why did Hartman kidnap them? 
Uh, kidnap Barry, because you know that Barry's like his wee pal, right? He just needs to get him here too. Um, so anyway, so they break into Hartman's office where Alan finds the manuscript pages that he's collected across the game, right? Any that we've picked up. So Alan gets his manuscript pages back. Uh, Hartman appears. Alan, please, you're sliding back into... Alan grabs a gun off the desk, whirls around, and presses it into Hartman's face. One more line, I'll shoot you in the face. A beat, and Hartman smiles. Ah, well, it was worth a shot. Really, wait, come on, let's work together on this. Alan cuts him off. Barry, take the manuscript and get out of here. Barry pushes back, but Alan just barks at him. Go! Barry takes the manuscript and the cutout, and he leaves. We could create something absolutely wonderful with your ability and my... Je ne sais quoi. But before he can finish saying je ne sais quoi, uh, there's a rumble. The darkness is here. Not one for cold-blooded murder, Alan opts to just let a murder happen instead. He pushes past Hartman out of the office and locks the door behind him. He hears Hartman scream, plead for help, hears the rush and whirl of the darkness engulfing him, and then... nothing. Alan sounds like a pretty sound guy. So Hartman wanted basically just to use the most famous author in America to boost his profile and boost his clinic and boost his, you know, write a book about him, presumably, eventually. Probably. There's the implication here that Hartman knows that somehow Alan's writing or whatever writing is in that manuscript is okay. coming true. Right. There's the implication he's like, hey, if... Like, yeah, I'll he's, got it on, he's got it on his desk, doesn't mm -hmm. he? So. That's the implication. Um, it's not very clear right now, but yeah. But now he's dead, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, well. Yeah, because uh, as Al after Alan locks Hartman in and we hear him scream for his so life So that was and another dying, manuscript um... we, we heard. He lo locks him in and Alan smiles slightly to himself. There's the smile. He smiles. That when is Alan a turns... horrible smile. Yeah, it's not great. But when Alan... This very he is like, a, tri this, he is like a, a triple chin. When Alan turns, he has a dark grin on his face. Alan and Barry escape from the lodge together and they hop into a car, deciding their best course of action is to get to the Andersons' farm, find out what's really gone, going on over there. Right, the Andersons clearly said there's something there for them to learn, so let's go The answers. The, the answers, the truth. Seems like they have all the answers. So, it's a full chapter of Alan and Barry and the Alan Wake cutout off on an adventure together. So, <laughs> Barry is like... As soon as we're out of is this... Is Barry just carrying that cut around? Straight up. For the rest of the, yeah, for the rest of it. The rest of the game? Uh, almost the rest of the game, yeah. He's so it's a cutout of the actual actor that plays Alan Wake. The live action picture of the Going on an adventure with them. Yeah. This is all very meta. It's very fun. Uh, so Barry is like, as soon as we're out of this, I'm done with darkness. You are going to buy me a tanning bed as a gift and I'm going to live in it. And in the distance, they see the darkness tornado screeching and whirling around Oh, Harman's he's so lodge. dead. He's, I'm so sorry, Barry. <laughs> the, so it devours everybody inside the lodge. Um, no, just gone. Yeah. Um. Oh God. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Actually. I don't care about anybody else, but Tornoden. Yeah. I like to think that they made it out. Bonked it on the head with his hammer. <laughs> 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 so anyway, so Alan looks out the window at it and starts to think aloud. I can bring Alice back. I can find her. There's something special about this place. The lake. It does something to the works of art created here. It makes them come true. But there's a catch. The dark presence twists it into its own ends. It's using my manuscript to take over everything. It happened to Thomas Zane, the Andersons, God knows who else. 
But before he can continue, the darkness tornado tearing across the mountainside causes a rock slide. Boulders come crashing down into the mountain road, colliding with the car, and in the pandemonium, Alum is thrown out of the vehicle, watching it crash off the cliff and into the woods below, along with Barry and the Alum Wake cutout. No, not the cutout! He's alone. Again. Barry! He yells. Silence. Alan, wait, cut out. <laughs> Silence. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm good, Chief. And then... Al? Oh, God, you're okay. I'm down here. I can't see you because of these trees, but don't worry. Your cutout is fine. <laughs> cutout is fine, okay? Barry's fine. The cow is fine. They, they, they had a crash, but they're fine. So we hear a rustle and a scream, and a Taken attacks Barry. Suddenly, a red flash. Barry blasts a flare gun at the Taken, and it explodes. Boom. Woo! Yes, he never messed with anyone from New York City. Ha! I'm going to go ahead and secure the area. I'll meet you at the farm. And off he goes. Why? Stay with us, you muppet. Well, <laughs> Alan, Alan, like, can't you can you can't really see him. You can just see him like in the distance. And Alan just goes, suddenly he's Rambo, <laughs> 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 and he maybe follows the trail around to the farm. And as he does, there's a flash of eerie white light, like the one from his nightmare all the way back at the beginning of the game. And for a brief moment. He sees a bulky diver suit floating through the air. You really can't make it out here, but you see the the outline is really like a barely a shadow of a bulky diver suit floating through the air, light beaming from oh, torches stuck all over it. Gosh, I know who it is. I think it's the poet. I, I, that's what I've, we've been saying all along. But I think I think it's something more meta happening here. Can I say? You can say you that there's the game expects you to know who this is by this. Well, point. I mean, I we obviously the easy explanation is it's Thomas Sane. I think that's Alan Wake. That's interesting. Why? Because he's writing the story literally. Hmm. Why would he be in a diver suit? Well, the diver suit is a tool, just like the gun and the you know. He's just giving him the. We're, we're going to get to that because hold on to that because I think it's interesting you think that uh, because there's quite a lot to talk there really is a lot to talk about now Alan Wake um, once yeah. you have all the answers so is there? yeah there is oh. um, so he sees we're not getting to the weird stuff yet we're getting there oh we're already weird but it's going to get weirder I see so he sees a bulky diver suit floating through the air light beaming from torches stuck all over it when it disappears a manuscript page is in its place Closer and closer to the farm, as he picks up the manuscript page, I'll tell you what it says later. Closer and closer to the farm we get, and we find another television. It bursts into life. Footage of Alan writing, time for another message. The story has changed. The darkness is twisting the plot. I can see the ending, see the ending it wants. An ending where it's free, unstoppable. It used Alice to get to me, dangled her in front of me to keep me going, but it was never going to release her. I'm going to change this. I will escape. I'm writing myself into the story. I'm now the protagonist. It's a risk, but it's the only way to save Alice. I'll be bound by the story. It's the only way this will work. There will be victims along the way, near escapes, cliffhangers. In a horror story, it can't be certain that the hero will survive or even succeed. I'll write my own escape. I need help. I need Thomas Zane. I'll make him help me. And then reaching the farm, and reuniting with Barry, we see the stage. Alan is like, I knew the brothers were rock stars, but it hasn't really sunk in till now. 
a huge Viking rock stage. A dragon looms over it, its shields and runes painted into the wood. Tiny tubes are set up, ready to launch fireworks at a moment's notice. And most importantly of all, it has stage lighting. Mm. Barry looks to see Taken appearing. He's like, ow, they're coming. There's too many of them. He trips and falls to his knees and does a power slide. And there's a boom, a roar. And as an army of Taken surround them, rock music blares out of the speakers, racing towards the stage. Barry dives into the lighting and sound booth and starts frantically pushing buttons and fireworks burst into the sky. And suddenly you have, and I will show this to you, it is a song that was recorded for this game with lyrics. It's incredible. It's not by, uh, the Old Gods of Asgard are based on a real life band called Poets of the Fall who feature in every single Remedy game. And they record three or four original songs for Alan Wake. This is one of wow. them. And you're running around the stage while Barry's like, do, 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 like pushing fireworks and it like makes them God momentarily vulnerable. Barry. And you're like, like you do it. And it's like, Nilo, Nilo, Nilo. and it's just awesome. And then like the fires come out the dragon's mouth and stuff. And it's just the best thing ever, guys. It's just the best. I it's so good. This. It's so cool. And it's like Barry's like, I'd oh, go to that man. concert. It's so, so would I. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so an old Gods of Asgard song, Poets of the Fall, covers the next five minutes of absolute mayhem. Cue the world's coolest rock concert with fireworks and lights weakening the Taken while you fight them to some good old-fashioned rock and roll. The dragon at the top of the stage shoots fire from its mouth, aiding in the effort. And as we fight, we hear Barry hum tunelessly along. Every, <laughs> every time he's able to get another light on, he's like, Bam! Barry Wheeler to the rescue! Get them all! And Bright Balls, rock and roll capital of the world! And it's so cool, man. Like, I love this moment. It's I like it. Don't don't push it, Barry, but I like it. It's so good. So anyway, so eventually our boys reach the farm, right? They finally take him. It's all fine. Um, Alan needs to mess around with a gate puzzle. And so is, the, is the implication here that the brothers set this up to fight, to fight? Taken? No, this is their home and they wanted a rock stage. They just do practice concerts here. Yeah, for the better. <laughs> like they're pensioners at this point. For the banter. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, I get the sense they're supposed to be in this universe anyway. They're supposed to be kind of like one album wonders a little bit. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so so they're having a grand old time. So we deal with the gate puzzle. Uh, Barry investigates a barn. Uh, inside, uh, we find a Viking boat, like, like a literal Viking boat. And all of the Anderson brothers moonshine. Mm. <laughs> Flammable. Unsurprising. Yeah. Mm. And when Barry finds them, he's like, oh man, I'm really coming around to these guys and their music's pretty cool too. How come I never heard of them? Wonder if they'd get back into performing. Wonder if they'd need an agent. And Alan is like, Barry, can you cam it? I'm trying to do the skate puzzle. And Barry responds in one of my favorite lines in the whole game. Hey, I think Alan Wake has something to say. What is it, Al? He holds up the Alan Wake cutout in front of his face and is like, ooh, I'm Alan Wake. <laughs> I'm always right about everything, and if I don't get my way, I'll sulk all day long. I'm always intense and moody. It makes me very attractive and mysterious. Right now, I'm just standing here because I need my best friend Barry to carry me, but that's okay. I can just take him for granted. <laughs> that reminds me so much of the Toy Story bit, which is, I saw his husband tweet recently, it was like, this is the sickest burn in the history of cinema, and is it is it is it Rex? He's like, howdy, 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 I'm Woody. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the sickest burn in the history is Tom Hanks telling young Zaynor he doesn't have friends. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, so Barry basically just like rips Alan to shreds. Um, so as they move through, uh, they also find another Night Springs episode. 
And Barry is like, damn, Night Springs brings back memories, huh? Remember when I got you that gig? Your first real writing job? Ah, oh, do you oh. think this is your episode? It isn't. Uh, it's not his episode. But, oh, Alan used to be a writer for Night Springs. Isn't that interesting? Uh, finally, after a whirlwind adventure together, Barry, Alan, and the Alan Wake cutout. <laughs> <laughs> Which just says... Alan at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. um, reach, they reach the Andersons' farm. They make it. They turn the power on, and when they do, an old record player bursts into life. It's another Old Gods of Asgard song, and I cannot play you the song right now, but I will, uh, because it's beautiful. Uh, but the lyrics are really interesting, so here's some lyrics for you. The lyrics are, And now to see your love set free, you'll need the witch's cabin key. Find the Lady of the Light, gone mad with the night. That is how you reshape destiny. That sounds a little bit like a Led Zeppelin lyric, doesn't it? I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine, like, Robert Plant singing this. And now you love set for I'm not going to do the thing, but... You know what yeah. I'm thinking? Is it's that it's a song. It sounds like something that would come out of a bloody Ninja Sex Party song. Mm. Oh, you're an... You're, I don't... Monty's I a Ninja NSP, Sex yeah, Party. Yeah, I don't I, really it know It sounds them. like NSP lyrics. Yeah, well, we, we've been to a concert uh, of theirs. It's we have. Great. I, can, I can hear Danny singing this. Uh, I would kill to hear but NSP cover this. They're just, you know, wishing they were Led Zeppelin, so... Oh, they're kind of almost parody stuff, aren't they? It's like, if, you know, well, get, not parody, but like the I same would, way the darkness are, like, sort of like hyper, hyper, like the darkness or like, um... No, I think they like, were. I, they're I like a glam they rock parody. Uh, yeah. Like, um, like, like they've been, they're always like comedy-esque like Panther, songs, like right? Panther, some of them, right? some of them, yeah. Like, yeah. like Steel Panther, like kind of like yeah. hyper yeah. exaggerated yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I will say is that I will show this to both of you. We'll this was a real fucking deviation. <laughs> uh, and, and second to that is, if you are curious, if you've come to this going, I don't know Alan Wake, I'm hyped for whatever the sequel is, sounds cool, uh, I have linked, uh, I'll link to the song below because everybody should listen to it because it's, it's, a, it's a tune more than anything else. But regardless, let's move on. So Alan, listening to the lyrics, immediately gets it. He knows exactly what it's about. We need to find Cynthia Weaver, the lamp lady. That's her in that song. We'll stay here for the night and head back to town as soon as it gets light. Cynthia Weaver. So Cynthia Weaver is the woman from the diner at the very, very beginning who was like, "Don't go back there, young man," and flickering the lights. So she was she was the ex of Zane before, presumably he got with creepy witch lady. I guess I I feel like I presumed Zane was hundreds of years ago and not. No, no, no. Zane, Zane's quite recent, isn't he? Uh, just seventies. Uh, Barry told us earlier that. And this is uh, and this is set in like two two thousand and five, presumably. Okay. So it's not that long ago. So Barry uh, barely hears that, but he's like, "Sure, whatever you want to do." And he pulls out a couple of jars of moonshine, and it's like, "Lots of hours before dawn. Might as well get some rest." And by rest, I mean drunk. And we cut to we cut to a few hours later, where the two have drank like jars of moonshine. Uh, so the boys are drunk. Um, so Barry's like, I love you, man. I'm going to stand by you no matter what, forever. And don't worry about Alice. We'll find him, man. And Alan is like, I'm a writer. And if I wanted, I could write 10 books a year. And they'd be the best books that year. And Barry's like, no, you couldn't. Right, Trump. Yeah. And Barry's like, no, you couldn't. But that's okay. And I was like, you're right. I couldn't. But I could because I'm a writer. And Barry barely hears him. And he's like, I feel like my brain's coming out of my nose. I'm going to get the recipe off those coats and be a, a booze millionaire. And Alan breaks down crying. And then the two of them pass out. <laughs> and it's great. Sounds like my kind of a Friday night. Yeah, straight on. 
And uh, when Alan passes out, he has a dream. So he dreams of the night of Alice's disappearance. He's back in the Isle of Cauldron Lake, stumbling into the cabin. We hear Alice scream as she's ripped into the lake. We see Alan dive in to try and save her. And now we see exactly what happened that night. Mm. Alan came up for air. He couldn't find Alice in the blackness. He thought that she'd drowned. Barbara Jagger, the old crone in the funeral dress, is waiting for him. Alice is upstairs, she says, in the study. She's okay. You'll laugh about this together and put the whole thing behind you. She lures a dazed and confused Alan upstairs into the cabin, into the room with the typewriter. She's not here. You were foolish to think so. She's dead. She's drowned. It's your fault she's dead. All she wanted was to help you write. You killed her. But Cauldron Lake is a special place. Here, you have the power to change things. Alan sits down at the desk. And with Barbara Jagger, no, the dark presence touching him, he writes and writes, his manuscript flowing onto the page, titled departure. But even with the cobwebs in his head, some part of him had been aware enough to write his escape. His voice tells us as an oration over all this explaining. Zane was weak, far away, but I had written him into the story. Thomas Zane appears in the cabin. It isn't here now, he says, but I am. I am here because it was written. I brought the light to set you free. You must hurry. It will know I'm here. It will be back soon. It stole the skin of my Barbara a long time ago. She looks so old. Alan escapes. Thomas Zane grabs the manuscript pages. And then Alan wakes up, screaming. It was me. I wrote it. I really wrote it. It's my fault. And a gun cocks. Our boy is back. My God damn. Agent Nightingale stands ah. over him. He levels his revolver at him. That's right, James Joyce. Oh, come on. It's your fault and you're going to pay for it. And then we cut to black. End of episode four. But what does he think is his fault? So, do you want some manuscript pages? I yeah. think I think that Nightingale is the ex-boyfriend of his wife. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's or fair. just like... Alan bullied him in high school. <laughs> Yeah. Right, you ready? Five manuscript pages for you. Alan punched him in the face back in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, number one is titled Thomas Zane's Writing and Assistant. <laughs> Zane could feel the poems taking form, shaping things. As he experimented, he imagined he could almost feel the power surging through the keys of the typewriter. It exhilarated him. But there was fear too. If not for his young assistant, Emile, he would have given it up. But Emile convinced him otherwise. He too had a way with words. Who's Emile? Uh, you know who Emile is. Do you want me to help you out? Yes. Dr. Emile. Oh. 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 Okay. Okay. To be fair, I didn't help so you that much there. That's kind of what explains why Hartman was so involved in the... And arguably how he learned about the, the power of the lake to make words come to life. And to be fair, I didn't help you out much there. Because Which, when you're at the clinic, he does tell you he used to be old friends with Zing. I'm also wondering if that's why he specifically has a thing for artists. Because he's trying to make it happen again with any other artist. He's dead now. Who cares? Um, Hart, number two, Hartman's mission. So Emil Hartman was no creator. He had no ambitions on that front, and he certainly didn't want to end up like every artist he had worked with here, damaged in ways that were hard to describe, or worse. 
It was enough for Hartman to maintain creative control and provide direction. To be a producer, that was what most of these people were in need of anyway. So there you go, that's Hartman's whole gig. Uh, number three, Agent Nightingale stared at the passed out writer. The man was sleeping off one hell of a night. Nightingale felt a stab of envy at Wake's oblivion, but he had a job to do. He put the gun to Wake's head and almost became a murderer. His hand shook and his throat felt tight and dry. Biting his teeth, he tried again to pull the trigger. He lost his nerve. Wake stirred. Nightingale would have to settle for his arrest. Mm. So, so he's, he's written his not being shot by the FBI agent. Number four, the Anderson brothers in the 70s. It's best, the best boys. Yes. It's 1976. Madness reigns at the Anderson farm. Contrary to all logic, the headliest ingredient of their moonshine is unfiltered water from Cauldron Lake. The Andersons feel like gods. Odin can't stop laughing, contemplates cutting out his own eye. Tor runs across the field, naked, shrieking, hammer in his hand, trying to catch lightning. Their songs have power. Something ancient is stirring in the depths, coming back. Final one. Nightingale and booze. <laughs> Nightingale tried to make sense of the manuscript. It was disjointed and strange. He didn't understand half of it, but it all rang true, impossibly true. He took out his hip flask when he reached for the page that described how he reached the page that made him take out his hip flask. It wasn't the booze that made his mind real. So, so here's my question: If John Wick, if John, if John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, if Alan Wake is writing stuff into existence, writing stuff that happens in the future, in the present, retrospectively, that comes out, did he write the Anderson and their power into existence? Did he write? Zane and his poetry into existence. This is all, is he the progenitor of it? It's a great question and we will talk about it towards the end because I don't have necessarily an answer for you. I have theories. Hmm. It's, it's fast. It's really interesting. Let's yeah. just go. And I think that they know. I think that Remedy yeah. do know, but they are not, they have not given up concrete answers to that and it gets more complicated the more you think how about it and the further into the games we get. How much is he creating? How much is he just... Yeah. How much, like, I, I, my opinion is, to, 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 I, I can say to you here, my opinion is that Alan can't, Alan can only work with what exists. So it ha it can't, he can't suddenly just go, and then John appeared. John was a plumber. John, John was in the room now. He was just there. Like, Alan can go chases, chase yawned, right? But he can only say that you yawned if you were already feeling sleepy. But he, like, he like summoned Thomas Zane into the room, right? Who'd, uh, be, that... who'd been long dead. Right. We're going to get to get to Thomas Zane because I think he breaks all the rules. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's move on. You ready? As of right now, I'll just put this out here in this chapter. I have no clue how you're going to write a sequel to this. Oh, I know exactly what the sequel is going to be about. And you will too. You'll know exactly what the sequel is going to be about. Because as of right now, it feels like unless you do it again in this exact same location, it's going to feel incredibly derivative. I don't think that's what they're planning. The sequel is about Rose recovering from PTSD, trying to run a cafe. <laughs> yeah. You ready? Part five. Eye of Mordor. <laughs> but what's the chapter called? 
The chapter is called The Clicker. Yeah, it's, okay, so right. <laughs> it's not, and <laughs> you'll see why. We hear Pat Main on the radio wishing the tourists of Bright Falls a good night's sleep. Tomorrow is Deerfest. Alan and Barry toss and turn in a prison cell. It's been two weeks. Remember a week passed between yeah, uh, Alice yeah. disappearing and him being here, and now the idea is that it's been a few nights while Alan deals with all of the game, basically. Ooh. So... Alan and Barry toss and turn in a prison cell. Through a dreamlike haze, Alan sees the silhouette of Cynthia Weaver, the lamp lady. I have it, she says. Someone will come for it when the time is right. Thomas said so. He wrote it. The key is insurance. It's my job to keep it safe, safe in the light, always in the light. Which is why she was scared of the darkness in the hallway in the bathroom where the lady was. The silhouette vanishes. Alan and Barry wake up. They are hanging. Barry thinks he's dead. Straight thinks he's dead. He's like, I'm dead. This is hell. And I am dead. I have, yeah. I, I, to a peek behind the curtains, I'm sure we've revealed before, we have on occasion recorded episodes of this show with Kingdom Hearts back to back. And I've woken up feeling like that, ready for our next recording session <laughs> after a night of Kingdom Hearts. Before. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it's about, it's about Meanwhile, time. Meanwhile, me, very bright eyed the next day, already. <laughs> I have the light in my eyes. So he's he's like, um, so it's, it's a bad time for him. And he's basically like, oh, I think my tongue cool a crap in my mouth. Oh, my God. Are we in are we in jail? Al, this is not good, Al. Are we in jail? Like, he just doesn't even realize how they got there. Um, so the door opens. We hear the voices of Agent Nightingale and Sheriff Sarah Breaker. Breaker is like, what's the deal, Nightingale? I didn't authorize locking those two in a cell. Nightingale is like, yeah, well, I had some reading to do first, Sheriff, and it was such an interesting read, too. He arrives at the bar of the prison cell. I've got you now, Raymond Chandler. It's all here. All the evidence, including conspiracy to murder a federal I, agent. I've got to be honest now. I don't even know who Raymond Chandler is. I'm lost there. He's a crime it? writer. He's a US crime writer. Right, okay. uh, so at least this was kind of accurate because Ryan uh, Allen writes crime novels. That's his yeah, shtick. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, is it? Yes, he writes crime novels. Oh, I thought novels. he wrote horror novels. Oh, no. so, so I, thought, I got really confused earlier because there was a bit where it's like, oh, it's becoming a horror. Becoming and I'm like, horror, yeah. and I'm like, didn't you already write no, one? I, I guess. Okay, so you and I didn't bring it up at the, po- at the time. I was going to wait for this, but it's a great time for me to raise the sense. So Alan writes crime novels. He What he writes are detective novels about a detective called Alex Casey. Alan killed off Alan, Alex Casey in The Sudden Stop, his latest book. And ever since he's had writer's block, he's like, I don't know what to write if I'm not writing about Alex Casey. For anyone Casey. that's watched the, uh, uh, the American detective show, Castle, that's very similar to what Castle, the author, goes to. He's, he's the show. The show picks up with him having killed off his very successful protagonist of his crime. Well, series. it's 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 even more to make it more uh, less Castle Stephen King Misery. Misery yeah. is all about a writer who's just killed off his main character, a woman called yeah, Misery, and then he gets kidnapped because by a fan who d- wants him to bring Misery yeah. back from the dead. And it's the same sort of idea, right? So it's it's Alex Casey is his, and and people have looked at this and said Alex Casey. Here's the fun bit is Max Payne, right? That makes sense if they're all connected. Mm. And Max Payne is just Alex Casey. He's just a... It's just a Chase, are you, you, are you kind of familiar with Max Payne? Oh, not in the slightest. So Max Payne was was the, the series oh, that the studio worked on before. We Max Payne on Max Payne, it's, I, I ima- I've not played them since I was young, and I'd imagine they've aged very poorly in the story sense. It's basically... The first two are like noir games, and you play as, I mean, you saw the face earlier based on the dev. And, yeah. you know, 
it's like long black trench coat and his his wife and his baby get murdered and it's all his fault and now he's gonna go and get everyone who's responsible but the <laughs> yeah, thing yeah, that yeah, but yeah. it was the game it was the gameplay that set it apart because it, it uh, it's sort of um, bullet time. Bullet time. It was. Uh, it was one of the early projections. Oh. So you could slow down, and he could throw him any direction through the air, <laughs> and he would jump through the air, and you go boom, boom, boom. It was awesome. And then Rockstar produced the third one, which was very different, but still really underrated. I thought. Yeah, I like it's not as good as one and two, but it's still good. It's. I, I stand by the three. But it's yeah, still very good. Hmm? Why did Remedy not do the it thing? It was Rockstar produced. I think Remedy still made it. Remedy were busy. It, uh, Remedy were busy making Control I, and Quantum Break and a bunch of other stuff, basically. But I, I, so yeah. Point is, gritty noir detective, dead family. So the hint almost is that, and and that more will come of this later. Don't worry too much about the story, Max Payne. You don't need to know. But just Max Payne, Alex Casey, just for now. There's a strong theory among the fan base that they're basically the same guy. They're almost like in another reality. Alex Casey and it's Max at Casey. least a parallel isn't it it's a par- yeah. parallel is the best way to describe it imagine yeah so so just to give you a so sense going back is this just gonna be our what's her name from Misery who's mad that he killed off the character and that's this crime no that would uh, be hilarious no. I'd love that so what that's we- your crime you killed off I'd be, by the way I've been fired from the FBI I just drove down here to tell <laughs> you that so to recap, just to be clear on... But I kept on, my gun. <laughs> to be clear on Nightingale... I found it in the woods. Touches him. <laughs> Nightingale, the last we picked up with the last manuscript page there about Nightingale is that Nightingale has read some manuscript pages written by Alan Wake and whatever was on those pages has made him want to come and kill Alan Wake. Presumably about his wife dying or about or about um, Mayfly himself, whatever his name is, Nightingale. Mayfly. <laughs> 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 well, he's going to die tonight, so it's well, accurate. He has him behind bars, and he says, I've got you now, Raymond Chandler. It's all here. All the evidence, including conspiracy to murder a federal agent. There's no way you're walking out of here. You hear me, Brett Easton Ellis? Huh? Brett Easton Ellis wrote American Psycho. Um, I don't know why. Sarah Breaker is like, I want to speak to your supervisor, Nightingale, because (laughs) what is happening? Very well read. I will give him that. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to argue the opposite. Given the, the sort of diversity between authors he's naming and there's not a common, I think he's just kind of going, yeah, Dr. Zeus, because it's like all he can well, think well, of. Please give him. I don't know who half these writers are. Mm-hmm. I do, now that you've said that I know who Brett Easton Ellis is, but I wouldn't have remembered that without that. I, I think Raymond Chandler is the only obscure one, I would argue. There was yeah, two agree. others that I didn't know. What, H.P. Lovecraft? Obviously not that one. Yeah. We, we had to read James Joyce at uni, didn't we? I quite like a bit of Joyce. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Who cares, right? So Nightingale, he's like, oh my God, I'm going to shoot you. I can't wait. Right? Um, Sarah Breaker is like, I want to speak to your supervisor. And Nightingale is like, well, we all want things, Sheriff. I wanted my... But he doesn't get to finish that sentence. Oh. The lights go out. Nightingale pulls his gun on Alan. And he's like, what kind of trick are you pulling, Stephen King? Oh. Finally uses oh. Stephen King. Dead, dead, dead. That's it. He's dead, dead, dead. Think you're going to escape? The only way you're leaving this cell is with my cold, dead... And he stops. A look dawns on his face. Wait a second, he says. He reaches gingerly into his pocket. I... I know this, and he pulls out a manuscript page. But as he does, we hear the familiar high-pitched shriek of the darkness. The door behind him flies open, a tendril of black smoke grabs him, and with a whimper, Agent Nightingale is gone. Bye. Bye. Bye, boy. He's not missed. Sarah is like... very much not. 
Sarah stares at the door where Nightingale has just vanished, screaming blood, you know, all that sort of thing, covering the walls. And, like, her face is ashen white. And she's, she's like, and there's, nobody says a word for a full minute. And then she just goes, okay, I don't even need you to explain. What do we need to do? Like, straight up, <laughs> straight up, like, what, what, this what's is, happening? This is the best character in a horror franchise. Yeah. You need this character. Yeah. Okay, uh, right, no, this is all fucks. What's uh, happening? Alan, straight to business, like, light, we need light. I need to get to Cynthia Weaver. Sarah promises to help us. The plan is to use the police shop on the side of town. There's no messing around here. Everybody's on the same page. Alan, Barry, Sarah, all on the same team now. Good, good. Great, cool. We don't need to waste too much time. Finally have a vehicle. So as, as they arm themselves, and this is kind of important, Sarah tells Barry to stay behind. And he's like, like hell, but she has a very important job for him. I have friends who need to be warned about this, she says, and I can't be in two places at once. I need your help. Here's a list of people and phone numbers. I need you to call them and tell them you have a message from me. Night Springs, okay? Tell them Night Springs and they will know what to do. And Barry looks at the list and notes that Pat Main is on it, the radio DJ. Weird. Okay. And some guy called Frank Breaker. And it's like, is this your father? And Sarah's like, yes, it's my father. Hmm. The plan is to get the chopper and come back for Barry. So Alan and Sarah leave the police station and start blasting their way through town. They don't give a damn. Are they part of a secret organization? Yeah, I was going to say that. This is a, a we know what's happening in the town organization, isn't it? So... Alan and Sarah off into town, and as they clear out all the taken, they pass Doc Nelson's home. You might remember the fisherman doctor from the very beginning, yep. Uh, and he pops his head out and he's like, Keep that ruckus down! <laughs> he pops his head out of a window. Back inside, Doc. Sarah, Sarah looks up and she's like, Don't worry, Doc, I got it! And Nelson's like, About time somebody showed up. All oh, this shooting in the air is idiotic. One of these days they'll kill somebody and over deer fest and Sarah's like I know I know go back to bed <laughs> and they go back to shooting up the Taken <laughs> yeah straight up so the journey on and oh no a Taken lunges out of the shadows of Alan he's gonna die but then boom it bursts into smoke and standing behind it is Barry covered from head to toe with Christmas lights Hi. and a, a huge lamp strapped to I his head there's like there's the safest way to be there's a guy that cuts about Glasgow city centre in the daytime, and he he's sort of covered in LED lights, and he has a and he's I'm got sorry, LED he's got LED gloves on. I've has, never seen this guy. He carries a speaker around with him that plays dance music, and he just dances round the sort of house and dance music covered in LED lights. He's a bit of a sort of, he's a bit of a sort of local legend in the city centre. I that guy would be fine here. Yeah, I have he lived here yes. for almost eight years, and I have never even. heard heard of this guy. I encourage you to spend a Saturday afternoon just going to the shops. If you just go to down to St. Nick, you'll see him. So, regardless, like that guy, uh, Barry is covered from head to toe in Christmas lights and he's wearing a big old lamp on his head. And, uh, as as he, as he kills the Taken that's about to kill Alan, he goes, Ha! Guess that one saw the light! Oh, Barry. No? Tough, tough audience. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alan is like, what are the Christmas lights for? And Barry replies, Protection, man, like garlic against vampires. The Bright Falls General Store is now my favorite place in the whole world. <laughs> See this headlamp? It's like a superpower. I can just look at one of those things and they die. It's my flaming eye of Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're coming around now. Barry, best character in the game. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Straight yeah. up. Yeah. So every every horror game needs its comic relief. 
I'm well, really, I'm really worried for Barry though. Really, really worried for Barry. Well, because they'll need him for. So I'm about to say control too. They'll need him for Alan Wake too. Mm. So Alan is like, I want a headlamp. Give me yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more important, and he's like, "Don't make me get the Barry, don't, Barry, don't make Barry, me get the cut out again." Barry, don't give me any of your New York shit. I'm the main character. <laughs> Straight up, Barry's like, "Sorry, Al, last one," and Alan calls him a bastard. <laughs> So eventually the team make it to the helicopter straight up like so they make it to the helicopter and into the air they go they're off the way to find Cynthia Weaver at the power plant Sarah tells us that Cynthia Weaver is holed up at the Bright Falls power plant sorry there you go and she has been in fact for about 30 years she's just lived there and they just kind of let her they're like she's not doing any harm the power's still on (laughs) you know let her live there So as they're in the air, Sarah tells Alan that her dad used to be a cop in New York City. That's the closest she ever got. Don't you mean New York City? New York City. Um, So uh, that's the closest she ever got to danger, hearing his stories. She's clearly shaken up by what's happening to her town, but she's holding strong. The stories he tell would kind of be like your books, Wake, she says. I used to tease dad that he was just like Alex Casey. Alan is shocked. You read my books? And Sarah's like, oh, sure, you're a pretty good writer. A little heavy on the metaphors, maybe. Alan smiles. Nobody's ever told me that before. And he's like, that's quite... Nobody's ever told him that he's a good writer. No. No, no one's ever said I've read your books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Except for Rose, but we try and forget about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So, as the... But absolutely, Alan spent his whole life around yes men, right? And he's finally had someone that turns around and goes, hey, here's a bit of constructive criticism for you. Like, he's like, oh my God, this is great. Best weekend ever. This is what I needed, you know. Yeah. Um, so, as the helicopter starts to land, the dark presence rears its head. A flock of birds power straight at the chopper, black smoke rushing from them as they squawk and scream, and as they collide with the side of it, Alan is tossed out, landing with a hard thud into some trees and into the concrete below. Sarah pulls up on the stick, trying to shake them, but her and Barry need to fly away to escape them. So once again, Alan is alone. He heads to the power plant. The door is locked. He knocks and it opens. A beam of light shoots out right into Alan's face. We're holding right there, Cynthia Weaver barks from inside. Alan is like, I'm a friend. You knew Zane, Thomas Zane. You're the lady of the light in the Anderson song. You can help me, please. A beat. And then, about time, young man. I've been waiting a very long time for you. Cynthia's made the power plant her home. Lights are everywhere. Fairy lights, light bulbs, spotlights, doesn't matter. There's not an inch of shadow. You can't, you know, it's impossible to cast a shadow. It's that bright. Nowhere for the darkness to creep in. So thankfully for Alan, Cynthia has a monologue prepared to explain what the hell is going on. So, hey. hey. Shouldn't this chapter have been called the truth? Uh, Arguably, but you got the truth from the Anderson song, right? You got your truth there. So she's like, about time. Here's the information you need. And she goes, it's in the well-lit room. The well-lit room is at the dam. I built it to keep it safe. I have a secret route, a lit route, an old water pipe. I've been preparing for these times, the dark times. You have found my caches, haven't you? My caches with the yellow graffiti on it? Oh, good for you, Cynthia. So she's been the one leaving the graffiti for And she, so she presumably it, left that, I hate you, Zane. Zane. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, the one that said, I hate you, Thomas Zane. Yes, yeah, CW, Cynthia Weaver. Was the one so, that said, I'm going to kill you, Thomas? No, just I hate you, Thomas. 
Just I hate you. She did. She doesn't want to kill Thomaston. So she's um, spurned. She's yes, a spurned lover. Well, she says. So you've seen my signs painted on the walls. We do Tom's work. I knew them both, Tom and Barbara. I had such a crush on him, you know. Such a beautiful man. I was jealous. She was. There was a part that was a little glad when she fell into the lake. To be honest, <laughs> straight up says that. It's like she when Barbara fell in the lake, bro. I was cool with that. Right, Cynthia. <laughs> yeah, I like that. When the lake nom-nommed, Barbara. <laughs> all right, Alan looks at her and goes, all right, Cynthia, I don't think you've had a normal conversation in a few years, okay? We don't lead with that. But that's, she, she does absolutely tell us that she was glad that Barbara <laughs> fell to the lake. I want to be clear, I'm not making that up, okay? And when my friend Margaret fell down the stairs, I pissed my pants. <laughs> and then... And when your wife... Follow me into the pipe. <laughs> so, so yeah, so so um, she's like, oh, we do Tom's work, blah blah blah, and then she's like, um, so I was quite glad when she fell into the lake, and then Tom started writing and woke the darkness up. He tried to bring her back, but you can't do that. Oh. He did follow the rules. He tried to undo it. Wrote himself, her, everything he'd ever written out of the world. That's why no one's heard of him. That's why no one's heard of him. Yes. Oh. That's a tiny detail. But why does yeah. she remember it? Because she was there. She knew them. Yeah, I think. It's... But like he was a famous. That's the thing. Also, the, the writings. No, no, the right. The writings. The writings in the town that they found said he was this massively famous poet and writer. But when Barry was in New York and googled him, he was like, I can't find anything about this guy online. So yeah. he wrote himself out of okay. history. Tom. Tom. What I will say is that it's not explicitly stated, but there's heavy, heavy, heavy highlights that. Tom let some people remember on purpose. Cynthia definitely had to remember who he was. His secret that. organization. Uh, so, uh, Tom started writing and wrote the darkness up. Blah, 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 blah. Wrote everyone out of the world. Blah, 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 blah. Um, he was so famous and afterwards nobody knew him. He left only one thing behind in my care. He trusted me or perhaps used me a little. He knew how I felt. I built the well-writ room and put it there. It's been waiting for you, young man. Um, so, Alan and Cynthia start heading through a pipe on their way to the dam, when suddenly, Alan's radio crackles into life. It's Barry. Al, you there? You okay? Alan starts telling Barry the situation, when suddenly, screaming. A crash. An explosion from somewhere far away. The radio goes dead. Oh, Barry! They're probably dead, you know, Cynthia says. <laughs> I love this shit. <laughs> Not the interpretation of Cynthia Weaver I would have taken, but uh, she, she starts going just a bit more excitedly forward. Yeah. Rubs her hands. <laughs> well, she, she turns to Alan and she says... You must reach the well-lit room. This is no time to be a selfish... Because you see Alan's looking up the thing like, I could go out and go back for them. And she goes, this is no time to be a selfish idiot. But that's her so close. Why does she need a separate well-lit room? It seems like her power plant is pretty well-lit. You'll find out. So with answers so close, with the way to beat back the darkness just a short walk away, Alan looks Cynthia Weaver in the eye and turns his back on her. That's my best friend, he says. For the first time in the story, for literally the first time in the story, Alan isn't being selfish. He's going to save his friends. So some gameplay in the woods later, Alan reunites oh, he, he with Barry and Sarah. He is an idiot, though. That, that seemed like an idiot thing to do in the context of the story as we understand what? it. But what? yeah, 
I, I feel like if it had taken him, you know, a half hour later to find her, you know, a half hour to go save Barry is is really bad in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I guess. What's the what's the what's the ticking clock here? We don't really understand. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Guys, all I'm saying is, if I was an Alan Wake's perspective and you radioed me and screamed down the line, I would go back for you. All right, and I like to think Aww. that you go back for me. Oh, it's quite sad. So I yeah. wouldn't, but it's, it's quite sad that wow. you'd say that. I love you. This is love our relationship. <laughs> I'd love to go back for both of you, but just how well lit is this room? God, you two I are the worst. <laughs> We're not friends, right? So, some gameplay later, Alan finds Barry and Sarah. They're sta- They're having a standoff against him taken in a cabin. They're, they're what happened to his headlamp? Uh, uh, Barry's still wearing it. So the Why isn't he murdering them all? Well, yeah, it's not, it's not that strong. He can't do them all at his once. neck's not like, that yeah. muscly. To, to, point, to point out as well, Chase, like, it's not like it just like a... Like, you need to hold it on something for a little while. Burns That's where the tension of the gameplay comes in. It's very clever. You need to hold your torch or something for up to three seconds, depending on the size on it, and you'll see it go down. So there's w- a lot of waiting in Alan Wake. And it's clever, but Alan, wait. Alan, wait. But there is, there's a lot of waiting where you're like, I need to weaken you, but I know this one's coming this way. Okay, a little bit on you, because when you do it, they stand Well, after the amount of dead, the dead, the amount of dead people in funerals that must happen after this game, it'll be Alan Wakes. Mm. (laughs) Uh Uh, So anyway, the helicopter crashed, but they're alive. They're having their standoff. Barely. Alan is like, I know you'd be all right. Your flaming eye of Mordor would keep you safe. And the trio keep pushing on, making it eventually to the dam where Cynthia Weaver is waiting. So... Picks up his pals, they all make it there, right? Great. So basically, her calling him selfish meant nothing. So is this all predestined based on what he wrote, i.e. Alan Fates? (laughs) (laughs) So... You made it, she gasps, relieved. Oh, that is pretty well lit. I have looked after the well-lit room for many years now. There's no shadow in here. The power has a fail-safe and all the bulbs are number- numbered and changed regularly. There's no shadow in here except for there and there. And there, right. there, 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 there. There's right. a lot of shadows when in this I room. Close the darkness. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. There's a lot of shadows. Like I feel like she, for, for a room with pillars, she really concentrated all the bulbs on one side of the pillar, instead of you know, spreading them out where she would actually eliminate. Let's blame shadows. it on murky PS. Three era no, design. No, no, those are very intentional shadows yeah, they in are actually, multiple right. directions. Yeah, it's not just murky floor, they are like really directional shadows, aren't they? Uh, so, this is kind of it, it, it is a well lit room, I will give, but it's certainly it's not, not without the shadow. Well lit room, yeah. Sorry, Monty, please. So, she's basically like, look, all the Not even the place with the briefcase in the middle. <laughs> even that has fucking shadow. Like, like, I feel like if you really wanted, why do you put it on a table? Put it on the floor where it's not going to cast shadow. <laughs> God. So she's like, look, all the all the light bulbs are numbered and stuff. I change them like every day to make sure they're always fresh and nothing breaks. Must cost a fortune. Do you know how much light bulbs yeah. cost? Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess that Thomas would have been rich from being famous, but like in yeah. accounting for inflation. Oh gosh. Light bulbs yeah. have certainly gone up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and not. She's are those LEDs? Or those? She's not know, investing that money. Forest? It's not like it's it's gone up in value. You know, oh. she, yeah. Yes. So she's like. All the bulbs get changed regularly, blah, blah, blah. So go on, take it. Take what Tom left you, because then I won't have to worry about the room anymore. Can be the fucking clicker. Because six 
33 and 118 need changing very soon and I don't want to climb the ladder anymore and to changing them is very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you came today specifically because today was the day I was going to give up. Like, I was going to just give up nice, today. You're a nice tall boy, aren't you? <laughs> you changed the light bulbs this time. Well, you will see that I am not misquoting her here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to climb the ladder to change them because it's very late and I'm very tired and if you take it, I won't have to do that anymore. <laughs> so, inside the well-lit room is a manuscript page. Alan picks it up and we hear his inner monologue as it reads it. The page was autobiographical, the monologue says. A memory from my childhood, but I didn't write this. It was a page written by Thomas Zane. None of them were supposed to exist anymore. And then we hear the voice of Thomas Zane reading the words on the page. Alan, seven years old, would fight sleep to the bitter end. When he did sleep, he soon woke up screaming, the nightmares fresh in his mind. One evening, his mother, sitting by his bed, offered him an old light switch. I was right. You called it. She called it the clicker. And flicking the switch would turn on a magical light that would drive the monsters away. To imbue the talisman with all possible power, she added that it had been given to her by Alan's father. Alan never knew him, and anything of his took on mythical proportions in his mind. With the clicker firmly in his hand, Alan finally slept like a baby. Now, almost 30 years later, Alan thought of this as he stood on the rim of Cauldron Lake, the clicker in his hand. He took a deep breath and jumped. Alan doesn't understand. The clicker is here, but he had given it to Alice years ago in New York. Yet, was Alice both his wife and his mom? God damn it. Did she somehow jump in the lake? Time I thought you were going to say was Thomas Zane his dad, not well, was Alice. I was going to ask that as well, but like, was Thomas Zane his dad and Alice his mom? <laughs> oh. So Alan's like, the clicker's here, but I gave it to Alice years ago in New York. But somehow it's here. Zane had written it into existence in a story that he had written about a man, Alan, that hadn't been born yet. But he knows what he has to do now. Did he summon Alan to life? Did Alan summon this whole thing when he... Did he write a story a while back where he's like, I know these two people in New York. I'm going to make them fat. What I will say, Chase, is that nobody agrees in the fan base on what that is. I have my theories. Nobody agrees on how that came to be. And Sam Lake loves to not give us the answer. Alan's existence, how the clicker got here, how just this page that Thomas Zane wrote undoes everything, my understanding of how the magic of the Cauldron Lake works. Mm. And it's on purpose. Sam Lake says there is an explanation, but we don't have that. Is he ever um, going to give it? Oh, yeah. Well, there's Alan Wake 2 coming. There's Control 2 coming. There's there's rules in this universe that are currently concealed from us. Uh, and it's fun to theorize. Are they ever going to cross over? <laughs> We're in for a long Control 2 few takes sessions. place here. Alan Wake 2 takes place at the skyscraper. You I won't. It's called the organization place oh, yeah. for Control 2. Straight up, I'll tell you. Yes, they do. And you won't need to wait for Control 2. It's coming. So, for now. Final fucking plays games. No, yeah, you won't, because I'm going to cover these in April. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, then I'll play this one. F- 
Oh, be my guest! Wait, I think we're doing... A You'll make it two game. hours! <laughs> yeah, I guarantee this isn't your sort of game. You haven't finished Resident Evil, you won't finish this. <laughs> All that matters is that right now, Alan has the clicker, Thomas Zane somehow has brought the clicker here to this place at this moment for Alan to find. Potentially also wrote a bit of Alan's past in, or predicted Alan's past. We don't know, we'll talk about it later. And that's important. He's now got the clicker, which as we know, can, can protect you from the monsters in the dark. And he knows what he has to do. So, uh, before we kick into part six, and the final part of the original game. Couple of important tiny details that have popped up that I think will be important moving forwards. Um, numerous times through watching Alan on the TVs talk about the concept of writing with the, the magic of the lake and some comments that Cynthia Weaver has made, it's really important to note that... So the tragedy of Thomas Zane and Barbara Jagger. It sounds like what we've picked up is that what happened to Alice being t eaten by the lake, being numbed by the lake, happened be happened to Barbara Jagger, right? Mm -hmm. And the darkness started to almost use her as a puppet to start to influence things in, in life, mm -hmm. right? And Thomas tried to fix that by simply writing, simply writing poorly. And one day, Barbara was saved, and the darkness died. But there's no rules there, and genre, particularly the horror genre, as Alan discussed, requires rules. Mm. You know, you need sacrifice, you need struggle, you need obstacles to overcome, and Thomas tried to usurp all of that by just saying, and one day, Barbara survived the darkness. <coughs> Screw it. And as a result, <laughs> the magic didn't work. And that's really important. Exactly what Cynthia Weaver said was like, he didn't follow the rules. He messed up. He wrote poorly. Which is why Barbara has been editing. Why Barbara has been editing. Why Barbara's been here the whole time. Barbara's making sure that it does work. No. that I'm not going to say no, uh, but no. Um, the darkness has a particular agenda. And Thomas tried to stop the darkness's agenda through... Kingdom oh, Wars. I meant editing Alan's. No, I'm going to tell you straight up no, because there's not even a hint of that moving forwards. And then why did it edit Alan's? Because she's trying to edit it to make the darkness win. That She wants Alan's story to be a horror story where the darkness takes over the world. And Alan has managed to fight back. He managed to fight back last minute, and the story is now unfinished. He had it that Thomas Zane, the magical Thomas Zane, appeared out of the gloom and scattered the pages and saved Alan. So the story, that's what he wrote, and that's what happened. Uh... Now, the question lies... That sounds to me potentially like breaking the rules. Mm. That seems a little bit like, and then Thomas Zane appears and uh, saves, yeah, yeah exa exactly. You can't write your deus ex in, the magic doesn't work that way. So maybe that's why later Alice was eaten by the darkness, because again, the story must flow. And Alan, Thomas Zane had to do a, do a cheeky thing, that's why Alice was eat, later eaten. Alan then tried to fix it, and that's now why he's going through a night of hell. So, again, it's important to note that it's really important. The magic only works properly if you follow the, the classic narrative rules, a classic narrative structure. So you're not allowed to be inventive with your creative writing. No creativity is allowed by the darkness. You need to follow the rules and strictures of classical literature. Well, this yeah. is the thing, Chase. You kind of hit the nail on the head. This is what the game is about. It's about it's about inspiration. It's about overcoming writer's block. And particularly that the darkness almost is... It's an editor. That's what it's framing itself as, which is it's coming and going, you can't be wacky and wild with your storytelling. It must always follow conventional structure. That's the, the metaphor, almost. The overarching symbolic metaphor of the whole thing. But for the sake of the lore, for the sake of the magic, the ma all you need to know is the magic doesn't work if you just... If you write badly. But here's a question for you, and it's something to carry as we look at this 
Are Cauldron Lake and the Dark Presence the same magical entity, or are they two separate entities? Does the Dark Presence utilize the magical properties of Cauldron Lake, or are the magical properties of Cauldron Lake born from the Dark Presence living in it? And is Cauldron Lake the progenitor of all darkness? What is Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> I, I kind of assumed the former, that Cauldron Lake was an inherently magical place that was a sort of portal to allow this stuff. And to... Dark Presence just appeared as a separate entity one day in two I assume that they're separate and that, that, mm. that this is a, a catalyst for it. I'll go with that if for nothing else then I think it sounds cooler. What I will tell you <laughs> is that I have an answer. Uh, so Ooh, I w but I can't I'll give you that answer. You, fuck you, don't tell us. I will tell you, I will tell you. I'll tell you. You'll tell you will you find out, you, you won't learn that answer today. Um, oh. So we're gonna get- as, as in it's not in Alan Wake, full stop? It's not an Alan Wake full stop. The answer to that question is not an Alan Wake. Then why do you know it? So part six. <laughs> so he doesn't know it. He's making... He, no. He's yes. trying to big himself up. It's in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so part six. It's in control. Oh, wait. It might be actually... Part six. Could be in one of the other ones, to be fair. Part six. <laughs> part six. You haven't said the thing. Anyhow. Yay. <laughs> So part six, um, so the episode, the final episode of Alan Wake is entitled Departure, the same as the title of the book that Alan wrote for The Dark Presence. Well, what's your part called? My part is called dot, dot, dot. So we're going with Departure. Oh, ellipsis. Ellipsis. Okay. It's so an ellipsis. So we're going with Departure. No, because my title's better. Alan awakens in his, two years ago. So with Alan, some really ugly, thick sunglasses. Yes. Alan awakens in his apartment. Black hoodie, sunglasses, he's hungover. He and Barry were out the night before, partying into the morning. He grabs some painkillers and decides to watch some TV, where he sees Sam Lake and the Poets of the Fall, aka the real-life band that sang the songs that the old gods of Asgard did. It's all, it's all live action. Making a cheeky cameo appearance. They're on a talk show alongside Alan from the night before. He's publicising his new book the last book he ever wrote, where he killed off the main character, Alex Casey. There was fan backlash, a lot of outrage. People were not happy that he killed off Casey. The interviewer asks him what his wife thought of the decision. Alan finishes the interview by telling the interviewer firmly that his wife was his muse. She was behind the decision. Alice comes home, and Alan is immediately a total dick to her. <laughs> it's, it's the fact of so what he says you don't want to talk to me well this is morning Alice says and I was angry well this morning I was angry because you said you'd be home at midnight and you showed up at 7am but now I'm over it are you angry Alan crumples I'm sorry this tour I can't take this anymore I just want to go away somewhere with you they kiss and they make up it's all okay we cut to present day inside the well lit room Alan flicks the switch on the clicker. He doesn't know how he knows, but he's temporarily banished the darkness outside. It's safe to drive to Cauldron Lake. I'm going back to writing ending to the story, on my own terms. Barry is like, why can't you just write it here? But Alan explains. Excuse me, that's not how Barry says that. Sorry, why can't you just write it here? <laughs> and <you>. Alan explains. <laughs> the last page is still in the typewriter, he says. I need to read it first. Everything needs to be just right. Zane tried to cut some corners and it didn't end well. I need to finish the story properly. I need to find a way to somehow save the day after writing a horrible horror story which has a bad ending. I need to finish the book. Okay, Sarah says. I'm ready to do this when you are. Alan pulls his gun on her. I'm sorry, Sheriff, but I need to do this alone. Barry, take her gun. Mrs. Weaver, close the door when I leave. 
Don't let anyone in sight. Barry starts to cry. He hugs Alan. Alan hugs him back. And the writer steps out into the sunlight off to Cauldron Lake. As Alan travels back to Cauldron Lake, the Dark Presence sends waves of Taken after him. So it's only temporary using the clicker. He only makes it halfway and the darkness comes back. Why can he not click the okay, clicker uh, again? It doesn't work. Simply doesn't work. The magic doesn't work twice. It's just a... It, look, re really, it's a video gameism so that we have something to fight on our way back. Otherwise, the final part would be a one long cutscene um, is, is the honest answer for you. Now I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so... The Dark Presence sends waves are taken after him, the tornado appears again, the birds, every possible shadow it can throw at him, it throws. But eventually, we arrive back to where it all started. He stands on a cliff, overlooking an inky blackness below. The darkness here is so thick, swirling around him, that he can't see past the tornado in front. But he forces his way to the centre of the tornado. He loads a flare gun and unloads it right in the eye of the storm. And as he does, it shatters the darkness. On the edge of the cliff, Alan clutches the clicker in his hands, just as Thomas Zane wrote, and plunges into the water below. As he touches the water, we cut to black. Did the manuscript say anything about it being a cliff? I thought it just said the edge of the lake. I feel like you could have found a much less terrifying place to jump in, yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Alan arrives here with the clicker, and there are little rubber armbands for him to jump into the lake with, yeah. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, at minimum, you know, on the... Sea level? Yeah. Yeah, you just have to walk in. Yes! Yeah. So, we find ourselves once I've again. been cliff diving. It's terrifying. <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, we find ourselves... I forgot about the power of this word, and it's great. Uh, so, we find ourselves once again... Love's dog. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> we find ourselves once again in that New York apartment. Alan gasps awake, and Alice holds him close. Shh, baby, you're having a bad dream. Everything's fine. You're home. It was just another nightmare. The lights are off. The power's out. Come back to bed, Tom, oh, and I'll no. make you forget all about the darkness. Yeah. Immediately, Alan knows something is wrong. My fear? It's your fear. You're not Alice. Where's the clicker? What did you do with it? Frantically, we hunt the apartment for the clicker, and eventually we see... This, this is gameplay. This is gameplay. Uh. Eventually, yeah, and the entire time she's standing there moaning and like, come, come back to bed, baby, sweetie. All that is really unnerving, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, and eventually we find this, the clicker, the literal words, the clicker, hovering in the air, winking at him, a glimmer of light in the darkness. Alan aims his torch at the words and the fizzle popping, dissipating, replaced by the faithful little light switch. As he picks it up, the apartment melts away and Alan is lost in a sea of darkness with Thomas Zane. And now you're finally getting a decent look, I think, at the diver's suit. It's a very amusing, cartoony-looking diver's suit. 100% is, yeah. It's a, it's a 1970s one. It's old. Yeah, I mean, more like the model looks mm. very rounded and it looks, silly. It looks a bit Pixar, doesn't it? It does yeah. look very Pixar. It's giving me um, the cleaners from Monsters, Inc. Mm. <laughs> I think that you are going to... Too? By the time we are done covering the Remedyverse... I think you're going to wish that that diver suit came back. So, oh, you'll see. Uh, so, he's lost in the sea of darkness with Thomas Zane. You must find your way into the cabin, Zane says. It has no heart. It's filled with darkness. I cut it out. You must fill its heart with light. The camera pans. Alan turns his head and sees another Alan. A grinning, manic-looking Alan. Don't mind him, 
Thomas Zane says. He's Mr. And <laughs> Mr. Scratch. So, so he's Mr. Scratch. The subtitles tell us his name is Mr. Scratch. That is how we'll be referring oh, to him. Awesome. But when Thomas Zane says it, he can't say the word Scratch. So it's like it's it's a sort of like that's a very Stephen King villain name. Mm. So he's Mr. Scratch. And also, Scratch is the name of the devil, right? That's an, an old name for the devil, old Scratch. That's a. And if yes, uh, so yes, and if you're doing the Twin Peaks thing, uh, season three season of Twin three. Peaks. Yeah, God. Uh, so yeah, so don't mind him. He's Mr. Scratch, Thomas Sane says. Your friends will meet him when you're gone. Use the clicker. And all we see of Mr. Scratch is that he looks at Alan. He, I mean, he leers at Alan with that smile. That smile does not change. And he slowly nods to him as if saying, hello. We cut to black again. And Alan is once again alone. We need to wade through a sea of darkness, nothing but our torch and the glimmering, shifting word lights to guide our way. It's a nonsense scene, but to Alan, it's perfect. Where anyone else would see smoke and dancing blackness, Alan sees the last page of the manuscript. He illuminates the words, revealing a path to the cabin. The dark presence taunts him as he marches through, pretending to be Alice, tells him that she never loved him, that she's leaving him, inferring that he abused her, but none of it is true. Alan knows who Alice is, Alan knows who he is, and he's going to save her. And then just like that, he's inside the cabin. Barbara Jagger, the dark presence, stands before him. Alice, Alan sees the hole where her heart should be, the hole Thomas Zane burned into her years ago. I am much older than you, the dark presence says. Older than your first work of art. I will find a new face to wear, someone else to dream me free. Alan doesn't say a word. He just plunges his fist into her chest and presses down on the clicker. Barbara Jagger explodes with light so bright and so ferocious that it blasts out of Cauldron Lodge, erasing her. But the, the darkness still billows around inside. Oh, boo. He sits down at the typewriter and gives departure its ending. There's light and there's darkness, he writes. There's cause and effect. There's guilt and atonement. But the scales always need to balance. Everything has a price. That's where Zane got it wrong. There's a long journey through the night back to the light. We see Alan once again standing on the deck outside the lodge, diving into the lake after Alice. We flash to Alice swimming out of the lake, splashing onto the deck, alive, but alone. We see Bright Falls, Doc Hendricks and Pat Main high-fiving, Deer Fest is in full swing. We see the Anderson brothers dancing in the street. We see Rose shivering, holding a lamp. We see the shape of Agent Nightingale behind her, watching through a window, watching through shadow. But wait, there's more. We see Alan in the cabin, trapped in the darkness, still writing, and as he writes, his voice warps and morphs, sounding deeper, otherworldly. It's not a lake, he says. It's an ocean. He hits the full stop key on the typewriter, and after a beat, that full stop turns into an ellipsis. Oh, fantastic ending. And that is where so, Alan Wake so, ends. So, 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 Rose is the new lamplighter type and yep. is Nightingale the new host for the darkness? I don't know. That's is... the takeaway. Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck. 
Okay, but now are we going to have the sequel with all the same characters? No, I do not believe that we will. But I can't tell you why, Chase. We'll get there. We will get there, I promise. After the DLC or after control? After control. After we finish all the rest. Okay, so so, so control control does seemingly it will be the interim game between this and Alawake 2 that connects them. Kind of. I'll be able to tell you more after we finish control. We, I really enjoyed that. that Isn't it good? That was, that was good. It's a good wee mystery, right? Good, good wee mystery. I love the, the, the bit there that I know. But it, what a cracking final line. This is a famous old, final line. Yeah. So it's really important for me to know that we're not done. Uh, we have DLC and expansion to cover. Yeah. We're going to cover them in another video because this went a lot longer than I anticipated it would. Yeah. And that's absolutely fine. That's great. Um, so we are going to call it there. We are going to say goodbye for now, but in the next video, we will be covering the two pieces of DLC. Um, we're going to be covering The Writer and The Signal and Alan Makes Wake's American Nightmare. And then after that, we'll do a video on Quantum Break. Then we'll do a video on Control. Oh, I forgot Quantum Break existed. Mm. Yes, yeah, no, everybody does. Everybody yeah. does. Uh, and then we'll do a video on Control, and then we'll do a video on Control's expansions, which are much more in-depth than what we were about to cover in the Alan Wake stuff. But okay. for now, we're going to say goodbye. Bye. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye-bye! Bye, everyone.